the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could be up and joining us this morning. Hey, it's not as daylight as it was. Hi, it's not weekend. as no. It's, well, it's a little, little cloudy out there, probably, <laughs> but it's supposed to be a beautiful day today. It is a great day to go out to the spring fling. I had a gentleman come into the garden center yesterday, and I was like, "Okay, here it is, Friday, right? Right, spring fling, and it's raining." And <laughs> I, so the guy said, "Yeah, of course it is. You know, it's either raining or cold. You know yeah. that." And the guy said, "It was packed out there." Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah there was one little rainstorm about ten and one about two, but otherwise it was not bad until after they had closed last night. You're I told them I was going to work on their weather for them. Well, you did a you good did, job. Yeah, you did. I you mean, did. you held it off for the most part because last night, you know how they say, you know, lightning puts nitrates in the air. Yeah. Well, everything should be growing just That's fine for yep. sure. But That's I mean, sure. but yeah, but and spring fling uh, started off, kicked off yesterday, and then today uh, from nine to five, I believe, uh-huh. and this is out the egg center at the Red <clears> Barn out there. And I had, um, you know, our dirt buddies, uh, Jan and Jamie, they came by the other night and picked up some KWAM signs to put out there mm-hmm. at Spring Fling. So that's a good thing also. Yeah. All right. Well, then welcome new listeners. Yeah. There you yeah. go, Veda. <laughs> Heck yeah. Always positive. But to me, Spring Fling is the kickoff mm-hmm. of spring. Yeah. You know, that's when we really got to start really thinking about, okay, what are we going to do this spring, right? They, was it usually... Like a week earlier, oh, yeah. and so they got they moved it. Well, back after they another, froze, you right. know, for thirty years, they said, "Hey, let's push this thing up a week but or two. But no matter what week we put it on, there's going to be a little rain somewhere yeah. in well, the vicinity. I've been out there when it was bitterly cold. Yeah, yeah. I'll take the rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and, and what about y'all? The freeze on the freeze, you know, with all the Japanese maples that had flushed out. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, That's I had sad. a guy come in yesterday. He was out of town, got back in town, and the first thing they noticed when they pull up in the driveway was not you know not the mailbox gone or anything it's the leaves on the japanese maples that did flush out they were looking beautiful and then we had a freeze what early in the week Mm -hmm. and then it froze the new growth Mm -hmm. on the japanese maples had some chinese fringe trees that had flushed and i went ahead and set them out for retail and forgot to grab the two and their leaves were just mushy so Mm -hmm. so i mean what i mean do I guess my question is, you know, these shrubs and these trees use a burn a lot of energy mm-hmm. and a lot of stored carbohydrates pushing all this back out, right? Right. right. Well, then when that gets burned, they got to do it again. Mm-hmm. So other than going out there, maybe putting a little non-burning fertilizer around them, I mean, are we good? Yeah, I think everything's going to recover, I think. You know, even my amaryllis that are in the ground got their tops zapped, you mm-hmm. know, but... They'll be fine. Yeah, we were so early on that possibly they'll just just come back, Flush out. Right back out. But I was thinking the same thing you were. I was looking at some things that were in containers. Thinking, well, I'll go ahead and throw some a little fertilizer right. in them. You right. know, nothing nitrogen based or anything. Just because I understand they're going to need a second burst of energy. Which means they need more nutrients to, to take, especially out in containers. Oh, I'm saying feed, feed, feed now. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, we're we're almost in April. Yeah. And, you know, so in these plants, you know, they're, they're going to need a little extra boost, if you will, to flush back out. And then, of course, the story is that we've been talking about for the last, you know, two months, uh, and I'm still talking about it every day, 
is some of these plants that we still don't know about. People are coming in, they're concerned. The cryptomerias, guys, we still don't know about those, whether they're going to come back out. Has anybody seen any new growth on cryptomeria? Well, I had one uh, one of our uh, members on the Facebook group posted that uh, they thought they saw some green coming out up inside the plant. That's great. Yeah, you know? yeah if this uh, is the same person maybe jim i saw somebody else say i i my husband swears okay. he sees some green so if she says her husband swears he sees green then he doesn't see any green of course not <laughs> and then what about cleara you know we still don't know oh, about cleara's yeah. yet yeah. uh the red tip fotinas we're not certain about yet ligustrums ligustrum the uh, sweet olives the gardenias the camellias and somebody have a picture of a, a Japanese you, a podocarpus, you know, and yeah. I'm fairly certain it's yeah. dead. I just don't have the heart to tell I her. I know, because that, just, that has, that's definitely, yeah, because yeah, isn't it border Man. anyway, yeah, borderline? Uh, yeah. So I'm just, you know, still telling people, look, guys, you know, even on some of the boxwoods that, you know, did have some damage occur to them, is let's go ahead and start feeding all this stuff. Uh, let's still be patient and wait and see. I mean, we'll know sooner than later. You know, what is going to happen? I mean, right. and like I said, once you cut something off, you can't put it back on, right? So it, it's, it's true. why not, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not sure, if you're not sure, give it another three weeks. We'll know. Right. And, you know, at that point, we'll do one or two or three things. Either we'll selectively cut out what's dead, right? Because mm-hmm. we'll know hopefully by then. We'll dig the thing up and throw it away. Or we'll see that, hey, man, this thing is going to flush back out. Well, we went ahead and cut the Laura Petalums down at work. And then even dug them out. Mm-hmm. They were they were not really as beautiful as I would have liked them to be in the situation mm-hmm. they were. Mm-hmm. So they were totally dead, but it wasn't disheartening for me to take them out. But then we checked the crepe myrtles next to those. And of course, they, they look like springs, not even close, but they're still really green. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Yeah, really green. I don't, I'm not. Feeling worried about that. You know, I've not seen any of them turning inward at the top, though, which mm-hmm. is always a, a bad sign. So oh, good. I, I think they're going to be fine. They're just going to be late, and they are always late, you know. Yeah. Well, you know how, like, we would get uh, roses in, and they would be bare root. Right. We would pot them up. And you would pot, you know, 100 varieties or whatever, and there would be a couple that, that wouldn't flush at all. Mm-hmm. And, and we kept holding them and holding them, holding them for even an extra amount of time that you think there's just no way. And they still would come out. Mm-hmm. Some things just take a minute to recover. Well, and, but you mentioned the Laura Pedal a moment ago, uh, you know, that y'all actually dug some up and got rid of them. Uh, remember a couple of years ago, we had the same thing happen to Laura Pedalums. But in that case, though, it looks like just the tips were burned on them. So people went out there and just kind of trimmed them back a little bit, two or three inches off the top, and they flushed back out. So we're hoping that the same thing's going to happen this year, guys, or we think there's even more damage on these lower pedalums. More. I think think the dwarf ones particularly are going to be less apt to recover. Hmm. Thinner Um, stems, possibly? Yeah, well, thinner stems, yeah. And I think the big ones like Zuzal, some of those will probably sprout off the trunk or the larger secondary limbs. But, you know, I'm Hmm. looking also at uh, my oak leaf holly, and uh, it's... It's, it doesn't look good. It's yeah. not showing any signs of popping now, and I w- had hopes for it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's continuing to burn back. So. What is that variety besides the oak leaf? The oak land? The, there's even the, I've got, we've got some bigger, older hollies that they still, 
have green on them and then the ends are black, of course. Uh, but th- they still don't look like they're going to flesh out. And I, ha- I haven't seen growth on the Mary Nails, you know. Yeah, I think um, I'm thinking uh, Mary Nails. And Mary Nails, Liberties, all of those, yeah. I think, are stressed. So. Yeah. Golly. All right. So the yeah. <laughs> I guess what's still what we're saying, though, is we still don't know for sure yet. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing two things. One, going out there and feeding these plants. Stimulate growth if it has live tissue still in it. Secondly is we've been patient this long. There's still be a little patient. We'll know, like I said, sooner or later what to go in there and cut out of there, what not to cut out of there, or what to dig up. And let's just hope that, because we are seeing a lot of things that look completely dead, azaleas, for example, you know, start to flush back out. So there is hope on a lot of these things that are out there that are slowly starting to flush. I mean... Don't you notice, like, um, there's some azaleas that are just fantastic, and then you go driving along, and then Crazy. the next road, you're thinking, well, those azaleas are gone. You know, somebody had asked a question about, um, say, the needled plants, the cryptomeria. If they were alive, I, I guess all the brown needles are going to fall off. You would, They'd have to eventually. Yeah, and then we would just start getting some new growth. Off of the base, which the could main take, stems. which could take a quite a while, or quite a long time for that thing to flush back out if they're going to. Well, if they're really big and they're doing that, I'd definitely wait. Uh, well, <laughs> well, that, too. You I mean, know? you got everything to gain and nothing to yeah. lose. But I'm not feeling good about them. Even what y'all just said this morning, that some people are starting to see a little green in there, and I hope and pray that is the case because I've seen properties that have their whole property line lined with cryptomeria, and they still look dead as or a doornail. Will they flush? And then when summer hits, will they just say, forget See, you didn't about have to it. say that. You know? <laughs> well, you know, so many conifers don't flush well on wood that's two or three years old. You're right, Jim. So it's, it's I think they're going to be iffy. Yeah. Um, I mean, even, you know, think if you cut part of a limb off on a cryptomeria, that limb, yeah. it's gone forever, okay? okay. Uh, you've, like, lo- you've lost two years of tissue that normally would be feeding that plant the next right. two years. That's right. Interesting. So, mm, I okay. think they may look ugly even if they were cover. But I think, I, yeah, that's true. But I still think I want to plant cryptomeria. I do want to plant oh, cryptomerias yeah, again. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, and we talked, and I know we got to go to break, but we talked about that. What is what is the mindset, you know, of people on distilliums and, you know, gardenias and camellias just and keep, cryptomerias just replant, you, you know, know come on and is just it hopefully replant. this is a once in a 30 year event maybe you know a once in a hundred year event yeah. let's hope all right y'all we're gonna take a break you can give us a call 901-260-5926 you're listening to KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Don't give us a call, 260-5926. Yes, you can, or you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text. Uh, Jan Childers sent us a text this morning said, Good morning, Dirt Buddies. Good morning, Dirt Buddies. And I'm sure they'll be out at the uh, Spring Fling at some point today. And, you know, Spring Fling is pretty cool, y'all. It's out at the Ag Center, like we said, at the Red Barn. And it's just a whole lot of stuff going on. they got a lot of stuff that they are actually have for sale. But they have educational speakers and save the pollinators. That's the big theme this time of year, uh, this year. So, yeah, a lot of fun out there. All right. I'm, I, w- I will hope, can I leave early and go check it out? But if I leave early, that means we're not doing much at the garden center. And I want to do a lot at the garden center today, too. Uh, well, I tell you what, yesterday. You know, it's going to be a good day. 
yeah, in between the raindrops, uh, man, there was a point where I'm like, I turned around, the you know, parking lot was halfway full. I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> here we go. Right, you know, right. we're getting in between the raindrops, exactly. <laughs> And uh, I had somebody tell me, I'm buying fountains and placing them in the place my plants died. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I like that idea as well. Mm-hmm. You can never have too many fountains can in you your not? yard. <laughs> right. I agree. <laughs> but, um, but we're still talking about going back with the things that died. I mean, you can't not have a sweet olive. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to not plant anything that got damaged, you go, your choices are going to be very small. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to exclude monkey grass. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we're not going to do that, yeah. right? Mm. But but I am, let me, and let me say this, the, the silver lining is a lot of, like I said, a lot of things that we initially thought, we, me, uh, <laughs> thought was dead uh, I mean, we are seeing a lot of regrowth. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But it's just some of those marginal plants that I'm still, I mean, I still don't know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I get it. You know, if people had one cryptomeria and it died, yeah, I'm going out there and replanting that cryptomeria. But I'm telling you, I've seen properties, Jim and Veda, where they lined the whole property. And we're talking about 20, you know, and... Mm-hmm. You know, then it makes you think, "Uh uh-oh, am I going to redo this or am I going to do something else? But to me, if the plant is, if it's the perfect plant that fits the job, fits the space, then I'm going back with it. Mm -hmm. You know, now Indian hawthorns, you know, I know they're getting a bad, (laughs) a bad rap because an Indian hawthorn is a shrub that really fits the bill also. Sometimes, you know, if you don't want to plant a holly or you don't want to plant a boxwood, well, the hawthorn is the perfect little plant, right? And people have been burned probably twice now in the last four or five years. Yeah, I guess uh, if I wasn't going to do an Indian hawthorn, because I always chose the Indian hawthorn because it was a good, I couldn't think anything else to go there. Exactly. I guess maybe distillium, but but the same thing happened to distillium this year. a stilby, not a stilby. A bilia. bilia, Thank you. Yeah, a bilia. So I guess there's always a substitute, you know, there's always another plant, Uh, if not many other plants you can put in that same spot. But I tell you, it still comes down to a matter of preference. And my, if, if the preference is the plant that is marginal, then I'm going to go ahead and replant it. You know, I mean, I'm not going to not stop planting gardenias. I'm not going to stop planting uh, camellias. Um, so it, it's just we'll have to kind of wait and see what people, how they think about, you know, putting in, the, in these marginal plants. Like I said, we can go 20 years, and they're absolutely fine. Yeah. But all it takes is one night, like we had this year, and it puts doubts mm-hmm. in people's minds. Well, we are replacing a lot of plants in containers, because whether we had a flash freeze or not, you always lose some plants in containers, it seems like. So we're we're doing that, um, you know, like the debunk boxwood, the green tower boxwood, the... Um, Oh, I'm liking the black the black dragon cryptomeria. Mm-hmm. Am I calling that right? Oh, yeah, it yeah, is. The black yeah. dragon. Yeah, yeah I like that one. It's a dwarf one. Yeah. And you yeah, mentioned like D-Runk boxwood. You know, that's one of those beautiful kind of columnar-shaped boxwoods. And, you know, kind of, kind of like a green mountain or a green tower that you just mentioned. And I haven't heard anyone tell me, anyone, that their D-Runks made it mm-hmm. through this last cold spell or that we green had towers also I'm so you know i mean there again i mean some spots whether it's in a container or in the ground you just have to have an upright boxwood you know? yeah so i mean so what's the answer do we just go oh, back to another boxwood yeah you know yeah <laughs> i mean you know i would derunks are relatively slow growing so they're rather expensive 
but there are some like fastigiata that mm-hmm. are much faster growing, give you the same appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would look towards moving to some of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, I've, and it's like somebody was asking, because you look at them in a container, the D-Runk and the Green Tower look almost exactly the same. The green, the D-Runk, as it grows up, it, it points, it comes to a, almost a point. Mm-hmm. It's got a little bit, and then like the Green Tower is basically straight up. Mm-hmm. Almost like the, um, the Sky Pencil yeah. Holly, you know. And then there's the Green Mountain. Which is a beautiful a boxwood. Yeah, it's a little more grows into maybe a little more Christmas tree mm-hmm. shape looking yeah. boxwood. But they're almost all, well, they're really not interchangeable because each one of those has, has enough different look to merit it being a specimen in a certain place. Well, and this is what, this is the end of March. Uh, the frost date we know is April the 15th. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as trees and shrubs, man, get out there and start planting. Not a problem. As long as the ground's just not sloppy, muddy, wet, right? <laughs> Well, uh, when's that been? Like this month? morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But when it comes, and perennials, same way, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, annuals, in fact, we, you know, got some annuals in yesterday and day before yesterday, beautiful annual color for people that are having functions and parties, and we get that. But I'm not going to go out there and landscape my whole property with annuals just yet. Mm-hmm. If I do, I know I'm doing it, you know, knowing that I could have more killing frost coming here before uh, you know, April 15th. So tender plants, we got to be a little careful with as far as mass plantings. Yeah. Yeah. But, we're kind of going with right now we're doing like a lot of ivy and ferns. Oh, exactly. You know, it's every time when we start getting the Kimberly Queens and the machos in, then yeah. I'm like, okay, spring's ramping up now. Now the next phase is color. But I tell you what, if you look at the 10 day forecast, it doesn't look bad. Mm-mm, I mean, the lowest I saw the other day, and this is two days ago, was like 40 degrees at some point, maybe this coming week. Uh, yeah. But I can live with that. Yeah. 40. That's still cold for annuals in the ground. So in can, can, in containers, they would be, you know, you could pull them in close to the house or something like that. Uh, yeah, this looks great. So when is, okay, it's Mar- April 15th, the last frost date, or is it 17th? Well, that's typically the last frost date. Last year, I was scrubbing frost off the windshield <laughs> on April the 17th. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we got <clears throat> 39 on Tuesday night. That's what I got, yeah. 61 during the day. See, I think my phone was just being nice. It said 40 on mm-hmm. Tuesday night. Let me go to an extended forecast yeah. here. You know, and See, what we're a, wanting to put those annuals in the ground so bad that we are analyzing right yeah. now. <laughs> should, yeah, and, and, like said, and people are. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. People are. But, I mean, you, you just want to just keep in mind, you know, if you're doing mass plantings, mm-hmm. uh, just know that, you know, when the frost date, the last frost date is. That's Well, all. the good thing is it's going to be sunny all next week, too. So even if it's a high of 60. That feels great, and you know, and it's mm-hmm. sunny. 71 feels like 90, it seemed like, this week. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll have, you know, next week some more rain, because March is the rainiest month in in the year in Memphis, so I understand. And it's proved to be right this March. It's not um, April showers bring May flowers no. here. No. It's March showers bring April flowers <laughs> exactly. here. So, um, and once again, what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims. Pilgrim. Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, get how it. did I get that one? Get it? <laughs> yeah. So I'm um, looking forward to all the new things. Even, I have to say, we got some really cool looking indoor plants, mm-hmm. uh, different varieties that I've never had before. Mm-hmm. But see, the thing about these indoor plants are, 
They can be outdoor container plants on your patio. They sure can. In the shade. And then you can bring them back indoors. But, uh, you know, that way, because I'm thinking, wow, I've got so many different textures and colors. If I'll use some of these, quote unquote, indoor plants mixed with impatience mm-hmm. or um, ivies or the, some of the normal things you do your shade things with, you can, I mean, because these indoor plants are outdoor plants. They so go to They're Florida an outdoor plant somewhere. And you see them, you know, growing like we've got ours planted around uh, our annuals planted, you know? Yeah. I mean, and they'd have always seen you do this. And I guess you got this from your mom is when you're doing your containers, it's not just one bowl of nothing but impatience or begonias mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, you really mix that stuff in there. It can be perennials in there mm-hmm. or a perennial. It can be annuals in there. It can be ground covers in there. And I swear, I think I've told you this before, and I'll never forget it, and it looked great. I remember you doing a pot, just one pot, with nothing but annual rye in it at yeah. that time. And it looked Isn't great. It? And I'm thinking, who in the world would ever think just of that? that? No yeah. one but Veda. And then now moss. People are liking just to have cute little containers sitting around with moss in them. Um, the the uh, containers now people are starting to, at first it was how many different plants can you put in a container? Let's immediately make it look good. Because you do containers too, Jim, I love stuff you? in yeah. those containers. Yeah, I but, try not to let that get out. Right, that's why I said <laughs> yeah. it. Right, now, <laughs> when we get back, I want to ask you some questions about the soil that's in the pot now. What do we do with that soil for this year's growth? Mm, all right, y'all, we're going to take a break. Um, give us a call, 901-260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be with us this morning. Yeah. We've been talking about containers and container gardening. Let's talk about soil. Yes. I was going to say not dirt. Go ahead, Jim. Soil. Tell me what you're going to say. Yeah. No, about what you can do with it, you know, in containers, how long you can use it and what you need to do to it to so, freshen it. So like get topsoil and fill up your containers? Oh, and yeah, that's a good plan. Yeah, uh, just yeah, no, just no, no, get no. that old good topsoil. We're just kidding. holds water. And, or uh, holds no water. Yeah. <laughs> so, and what, Jim, I think what you mean by that is if you're going to do something in a container, you know how we always say don't put that $5 plant in a 50-cent hole? Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing goes true to con- with, with, with containers. Uh, you need a good quality potting soil to grow things in containers. But my question a second ago when we went to the break was, let's say if you already got a container, which most of us do, it already has soil in there from last year or a year before and the year before that, do we go ahead and just take that soil out and replace it or do we replenish or refluff that soil? I always replenish. Mm -hmm. Always replenish. Yeah, I try to remove about half of it every year and then put in new stuff. Dump it all out. Mm, Yeah. You know, put it in, in the wheelbarrow fluff it back up, get it evenly uh, distributed, the new stuff and the old stuff. There you go. Put it back in there. And one of the things I advocate is never pack it. Never pack it. What do you mean? Don't press the soil down. I mean, you're going to all the trouble of getting the air spaces in there. (laughs) Just put the soil down in it, you know. In fact, when we potted perennials, I wouldn't let them pack the soil around them. I tell you, once they fill it up, Take it and just drop mm-hmm. it on the table, mm-hmm. and that way it settles it around mm-hmm. it. And then when you water it in, it waters it on down. But there's no point in packing that soil. Uh, you know, it, the airspace is good. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. You know, it's it's such a fine fine line there because also I've come behind people that's planted pots, and 
they didn't shake it down, you mm-hmm. know, or just you slightly push it down so you could reach down in there and find an air pocket. Or I would come back and the plants had slid down into the air pocket and then mm-hmm. they were level. But I mean, like Jim said, some people push and push and pack and pat it. You remember back toe potting soil? Oh, yeah. You still sell that? Well, no. I mean, it, it was back toe forever. Then it went to back toe light. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I remember they had both there for a while. Yeah. And, and now it's more of the, the, the Faffords and the black golds and, you know, those. The Fox Farm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those you, type you of soils. You could pack that in a container and it'd be like concrete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was heavy and, I mean, it had root development you get zero you know pull the plant out in the fall and it's like there's still fresh soil in there. right yeah i didn't use a thing yeah. so a, a good high quality potting soil is paramount when, it, when you're doing these containers and and then what jim always says what about if i've got this big container and i want to improve that i i mean i want to make sure that i've got good drainage and i want to you know even improve the drainage so I'm going to put six inches of gravel in the bottom of the pot. <laughs> and, and it took me forever to understand what Jim was saying, that no, that's not always the best idea. You can always put a little coffee filter over the drain hole or put a little rock down there, bigger rock where you're not going to plug the drain hole. But typically you don't need all of this gravel in these containers to improve the drainage. In fact, like Jim was saying before, if you if you – if you put too much rock in the bottom, you're really compounding the problem. If you add any rock in the bottom, <laughs> you're actually decreasing your drainage. Yeah, you're pushing the the wettest, wettest part of the soil up towards mm-hmm. the top of the pot. Right, where your roots are. So you actually end up with a higher moisture content in your soil than if you let it drain naturally. And, and I have to tell you, Jim, I, I, it finally clicked on me. It took me a year I'm not sure it has. No, it has. It hasn't <laughs> on me still. But I don't use the gravel really, but you know, it's, it's, it's still bizarre. It's sometimes necessary, you know, if you've got big containers right. uh, with tall things in it to put some gravel in it or wait just to keep it from flipping mm-hmm. over in the wind. Um and but it's don't do it because you think you're helping your drainage yeah, but because like you're in, not. Yeah, in big containers you have more uh soil. And all. So mm-hmm. when you are putting gravel at the bottom, it's not as, as detrimental as it is in our smaller containers. That's exactly well. right. So, but good drainage, and it is important that you don't let that drainage hole plug. Uh, and like I said, a lot of people, you know, either put like a little piece of broken clay, a, a coffee filter, mm-hmm. like I mentioned. I like the cocoa mat liner. Yeah, cocoa like mat pieces. liner. Uh, I use like, seashells. Seashells. Yeah, you have so many. Yeah. Landscape fabric. Anything, <laughs> like uh, you know, to keep that thing from soil from getting in there and plugging that up. Now, I've also seen, and believe it or not, it's hard to believe, that you can take a concrete pot, and in this case it was concrete, and it could be a, a clay pot or anything, but a concrete pot that has a drainage hole in the bottom of it, right? And it's the, it's the bowl-type pot with the, sitting on the little pedestal. And they put it on concrete, slick concrete. And it, just the heavy clay uh the concrete pot sitting on a flat surface was plugging up the hole and i was like that can't how in the world can that be but it was so uh, all i'm saying is sometimes you need what they call pot feet Mm -hmm. to get these pots off of a flat smooth surface 
to get it up off the ground, get it elevated. That way, you know you're going to have good drainage. Right. Yeah, because that definitely holds the moisture in the in the gravel. <clears throat> if you're using gravel for the drainage and then the hole clogs, you're worse. But in this case, Veda, the, there was nothing clogging the hole. It was just that the pot the was so flat on the surface of what it was setting on that the water wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, you know? It made a seal. Yeah. yeah. So pot feet do come in handy from time to time, I'm telling you. Well, I know when I used to do this, uh, work in this, do container gardens for this client, and he had, gosh, I could say a hundred containers, you know, big, small, and all that. And I would take a large tarp and dump all the soil. That's what Jim was saying. Yeah. And then add uh, whatever amendment I thought. Usually it was worm castings. Because we had done this so long, the soil was always good. But you just always need to replenish and clean it up and all of that. But we, I mean, imagine if you threw all that soil away. You just threw away a year's worth of trying to make good soil. And what about, let's say, the house plants that we've been growing indoors? And at some point, you know, we'll probably take them outside this spring, wash them down really good, clean them up. Put some earthworm castings, Veda, you know, as a top dressing on that soil, feed them. But when it comes time to repot the houseplants, uh, I mean, that's where I don't mind starting over, you know, with new soil, because I know these houseplants are going to stay in this container for quite a long time before I repot this houseplant. Where with annuals, you know, I'm repotting them every year. So I don't mind going in there and changing out the soil completely and just starting new when it comes to repotting houseplants? Well, it's like you're only going one pot size up. Right. And you're usually just taking that setting in there and putting some soil around it. But they usually stay if in there you, for more than a year. Yeah. <clears throat> but if the plant, like sometimes you take it out, and there is a need to break the soil up on the root ball, and I just let that soil fall down into mm, mm-hmm. what I'm replanting with so I can still have a mixture of the soils together. And, and you made a, a comment just a second ago. When you're repotting houseplants, a lot of people will be doing that, Jim, as you know, this spring. Do not go from an 8-inch pot to a 14-inch pot. Don't go from a 10-inch pot to a 14-inch pot. You typically go one size up, no more than two, because all of a sudden you've got all this extra soil in there around this little root ball, and it's almost impossible to monitor the moisture around that root ball if the... If the pot's too big and you got too much soil in there. Right. Right, exactly. Because um, especially on houseplants or the indoor plants, because they're not in their uh, native condition or outside, then the roots seem to even be more susceptible to that moisture around them longer. And if you oversaturate that soil, then it can't drain off fast enough or it can't dry mm. out fast enough before... Oh, no doubt. Become damaged. And then there are some houseplants that don't mind being pot bound. You know, in fact, most of them we can get, you know, most of the time when we get around to repotting a houseplant, it, it should have been done a year before then. Yeah, I've got uh, some asparagus ferns at the house that um, I'm not sure there's any dirt left yeah. in them. You know, they're right. just solid root ball. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could get them out of the pot yeah. if I wanted to. Got <laughs> <laughs> the pots off the root ball. Yeah, as you're breaking the pots, trying to get it out. That's That happens on nursery containers sometimes. Well, let's go to a break real quick, and I'd want to talk about on our outside container gardens, what do you do when you have a plant that you want to keep in that pot, but it's uh-huh. time to do something uh-huh. about it. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. 
call us, 901-260-5926. You can listen to our podcast. You can also uh, download our app and listen to us or stream us that way. Mm -hmm. So in case you're in a place you can't pick us up really well, do that. Um, Yeah, download the app. Uh, So you've got this plant that you love in this container and everything fits right there, but you know it's getting so root bound. Mm -hmm. You know, what would you do? This would almost kind of be in the same situation as like what bonsai people do, you know, when they're growing bonsais. And Jim, you you like doing, you've taken plants out, adjusted their roots, Mm -hmm. put them back. So tell us how we would do that. Well, if you're going to put it back in the same pot, you know, that's ideally what you're doing with bonsai. Um, You're going to repot it about every second or third year, depending on on what it is. If it's a deciduous plant, you can bare root it, you know, when it's dormant. You can take all the soil off of Mm -hmm. it and put new soil back in and it'll be just fine. Mm. Some of the evergreens, you can't do that too, but you can remove most of the soil off of it. Uh, And timing is kind of critical, usually in the Mm -hmm. spring. Uh, But you just take it out and uh, and then put it back in. You work your soil around it. We usually chop sticks to make sure we get the soil back up underneath the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's absolutely necessary if you're going to grow a, a plant in a, a tree like that for 20 or 30 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. So, you know? so if I had like a, well, nice ornamental tree in a large pot and it's been in there a while. So I could say in the early spring now take, pull it out, cut some of the roots, try to get, loosen them up and then. Would I remove some roots, possibly? If, yeah, if you need to. To keep yeah. it in that size container and Particularly then Particularly the back. bigger roots, you know. you What you want are your feeder roots. That's where uh, all the nutrition is taken in. So that's the one you <laughs> want to make sure that you don't destroy them all. Because uh, I have seen them, like, clip big roots. Mm-hmm. Which, because the big roots are actually the anchor roots. Yeah. So you're not hurting the feeding of the All right, tree. so you're saying that on... Container-grown plants, in this case, probably house plants. You know, because I've seen, for example, I've seen my friend has a ficus tree that he's had for about 30 years. And it started out in a 14-inch pot. And now it's in a custom-built wooden planter. I mean, that is probably 50 gallons. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's huge. Because he, every, he just keeps bumping up the size of the pot to fit the root ball of the tree. Yeah. Okay. And, <coughs> excuse me, this has been going on for about 30 years. In fact, they have to use a forklift to move this thing now. But, it, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful specimen of a, of a ficus. So you're saying, hopefully, that another way that you potentially can do this, and maybe when you start it when it's young, is to root prune and constantly, mm-hmm. constantly, I say, do that every time you repot to where you're not bumping that pot up so many times. Right. Is that correct? That's right. You're dwarfing the tree, and that's part of what happens when you're doing bonsai. You're, by uh, naturally pruning the roots, you inhibit the growth of the tree. So it's um, it's it's necessary because almost everything we grow as bonsai uh, would <laughs> get true. to be big trees if you oh. let them go. Okay. Yeah, you because know. you can go to uh, the bonsai place, and you can see a whole redwood forest growing mm-hmm. I mean, literally a whole yeah. redwood forest growing on this big rock so, container. So, so if you go, <laughs> let's say if you had a ficus tree, you mm-hmm. know, for example, that's what this is. And if he had constantly in the last 30 years been root pruning before he repotted, uh, 
then that tree would not be the size that it is now. That's correct. Because the tree is not going to outgrow the root size. Right. It'll That's either right. die or just kind of hang in there, but you know. He's going to have to, once you do it, you're going to have to continue to do it. Otherwise, eventually, it will get stunted. So mm-hmm. you're going to have to go in there. And you don't want to wait too long because you don't want to remove too much of the roots at a time. Well, and that's what I was getting to. you got to be a little oh, careful when you start remo- removing right. root systems of anything. Why, that's why you're doing it every second or third year. Yeah. Uh, you're not letting it get totally compacted where you got to go in there and you have to cut roots, you know, uh, or you have to build you a new wood container to mm-hmm. go around it. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not hard to do. It's scary sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. I would say yeah. scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, because there's patio homes that want <clears throat> to have a tree on their patio, and they'll <clears throat> put a big container and put a Japanese maple in it. Yeah. In most years, <clears throat> it would be fine. Yeah. You know, it would. It'll take the freezing. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know, th- this freeze that we had in, in December was was not a normal freeze. I mean, it, it just was seventy degrees and then dropped to to zero and that doesn't happen here very often um (laughs) you know ever but Mm -hmm. you know since i've lived back in memphis you know for 50 years or so um it's we've had a couple of i'm gonna say half a dozen times where it's gotten down to zero or below Mm -hmm. you know but the plants weren't hurt because they got they went dormant naturally. They they acclimated. They had some acclimation time. Right. They had hardened off totally before we got to it, and you saw very little damage. You know, some things got burned. You know, gardenias get burned, and you know when you, you look at them wrong. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. most things don't do that. You know, you the know? past five even, years, even Indian hawthorn. You know, I've seen it to go mm-hmm. to zero yeah. and be unfazed. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just that. Just it's wow. just how cold it got. It's just how fast. Right. And the plants had no time to acclimate to this cold weather whatsoever. Well, it right. seems like our gardenias have been taking uh, some hits the past three or four years. Yeah. You know, we did pretty well where we got them established. Once you get in the gardenia established, <clears throat> then it may get some top burn, but it mm-hmm. comes back from the roots pretty quick. Absolutely. Um, but this one, th- this particular one was a tough one. Uh, on on gardenias, you know, I had one in a container, and of course, it's toast. Uh, I, I decided not to try to bring it in. I bought it in a closeout sale, and and someone who I love dearly told me that it was the Amy, the big mm-hmm. tropical. I don't remember one. getting that for you, but anyway, go ahead. It wasn't you. Um, it was my son. You know, it turns out it was just an old Klein's Hardy. You know, oh, right. I should have known by the foliage, but right. you know, I, he made me a good deal on it. There, you know, it was the end of the season, closing out tropicals, and so you know, I think I paid him five bucks for it, and it probably was worth three. But <laughs> but anyway, you thank know. you, son. I held it, you know, and it went through the whole winter, and it didn't do anything, and then put it in a, another pot, the decorative pot, for the next spring, and then finally it bloomed like a son of a gun, but <clears> they were all these tiny little blooms, and yeah. I was really disappointed. Right. Yeah, because Amy has a big yeah. bloom, kind of like the August Beauty and the Mystery. Yeah, but what he's about, no longer my will either. Uh, I gotcha. <laughs> what about these these newer gardenias, these hybrids, like Frostproof and Jubilation and Scent Above and, you know, Scent Proof? I mean... All of these newer introductions, um, they're supposed to be more winter hardy than just the old-fashioned, mm-hmm. you know, August beauty and, say, mystery that we grew up with. Um, but even those, I mean, they, they didn't stand a chance with yeah. the type yeah. of weather that we had back in December. You know, I had, when we, the last time we hit zero, uh, I had a, an eight-foot-tall, eight-foot-tall mm-hmm. frost proof. 
Yes. I had to cut it back to be able to see over it, Love see it. my wow. bird feeders. You know, they Good said, grief. oh, it's a dwarf. Say, it's not a dwarf. Didn't they say it was yeah. dwarf? You know, this thing was huge. I've never seen wow. one that big no, it's before. just because went, you're an excellent gardener. Went that's through all. that freeze with absolutely no damage whatsoever. Not this past freeze, no. but yeah. Mm. No, and then we had another one that was like three years later, and it burned it back to the main trunk. Yeah. Hmm. You know, yeah. and... But it then wasn't dead, though, Jim. It, it wasn't dead. It started to come back out. But I did finally remove it. All right. So these new hybrids, I guess, are technically more cold tolerant. They're, they're zone more, six and yeah. a couple of them, maybe even zone five hardy, okay. if we have normal weather. Yeah. Hmm. If you can define normal weather. Hmm. Right. Anymore. Especially around here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I do love the gardenias. It's definitely... Something that I will replant as well. You just have to have gardenias. Well, I like to put them around like the front porch when you're walking. And you have to have a number of them to really get a good smell. Or just have them sitting on your end table with your patio, you know, sitting out on your patio. Have a couple of containers of them. That way you can smell them really good. You know, we've said this a million times, Veda and Jim, how, you know, people love to reminisce. Mm-hmm. And one way to reminisce is by the the scent you know, the, yeah, scent, the sense of smell. I mean, when you smell a gardenia, it automatically makes me think of the gardenias that were in my mother's mother's yard in central Mississippi, okay? Yeah. And it's just the first thing I think of. You know, sometimes it can be food, it can be something you see, but but also the, the smell. And I'm sure that's why, like you just said, people are definitely going to replant gardenias. They're going to replant sweet olives. It's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine not smelling a sweet olive ever again? Yeah. No, it's not going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody had, uh, was telling me everything they were going to plant in their yard. Sweet olive, uh, gardenias, hydrangeas. Uh, they were going to do some autumn ferns and some hostas. And she goes, what What type of landscape is that? And I said, southern. Typical. Yeah. Yeah. That's the southern landscape. And so. the hostas are fine. I had someone ask yeah. me about a week ago if they think the hostas are going to be fine. Most of the perennials that were in the ground, man, yeah. they're coming back just fine. Yeah. Yay. So we're really good to go. We're ready to plant some more. We're going to head to a break, and you stay with us because we've got more to go. You can call us 901-260-5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. You can listen to our podcast. You can stream us online. What, kwamradio.com? Go yep. back and listen to the podcast anytime you want. All right. Download the app, uh, Facebook page. Yes. We have a Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zones 6, 7, and 8. Yeah, I was on the show, th- or here Thursday morning, and I got your the, got the uh, webpage all correct. Ben uh, threw it out. Oh, and what's y'all's Facebook page? I'm like, oh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 40, Mid-South what? Gardening, like, Zones 6, like 7, that. 8, 9. Jim, in, 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 sorry. I know that you look at that well that page every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, day what has been many times? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. any particular topics are just normal discussions. Well, of course, about a lot, there's been a lot about Japanese maples um, getting you know, the leaves burned leaves on the last burned, freeze that yeah. we had. Yeah, uh, but also a lot of showing a lot of things popping back out. Okay, that good. They're pleased about. 
and you know we've gotten I don't know probably thirty or forty new members this week. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> so. Lots really of jumping. questions, lots yeah. of ans- uh, things going on. Got a whole group of people joined from Savannah, Georgia, for some reason. Um, don't know. Yeah, somebody down there apparently found it and started talking about it. So, uh, but anyway, when we appreciate you listening, if you're on with us this morning, I know yeah. they're going to have to start maybe possibly posting where they're from now. Well, because we're getting so because some things I are, see and I'm like. I know that can't be Memphis. You Where know, are they? I, I did ask when, you know, people were reporting about their damage from the freeze that they mm-hmm. tell us, you know, where they were. Yeah. Uh, so that we can That's good. get an idea. So. And then also I'm seeing people posting their bulbs that have come up. Yes. That I love seeing because. killer, killer daffodils and yeah. horses. Mm-hmm. They've just been some beautiful. And I, uh-huh. I, I particularly love the split cups. Yeah. And uh, there's been some beautiful ones on there. Yeah. In fact, I even had gotten bulbs written down on my notes here, you know, the bulbs that where you saw blooming or seeing blooming now, you know, the daff- the narcissus, the daffodils, the tulips, those are the bulbs that you typically plant in the fall. And here's the ranunculus. Some lady posted yeah. ranunculus, and that's one that you hardly ever see. I've had a, a time growing it, you know. I'd mm-hmm. get it to come up, and but it would never perform like it should. Yeah. Scattered bloom here and there. Maybe it uh, did. Well, it probably loved this cold weather that we it, had. I think so. Mm-hmm. In fact, John Pierce used to tell me that if you, for good ranunculus, you want to plant them in January. Mm-hmm. And he said, take them and plant them on their side because mm-hmm. he said too often you can't tell which is the top and the bottom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they don't. Kind of like an anemone, yeah, you know. And they don't, don't turn themselves over like they should. So he said, just plant them on their side and that way you, you'll have better luck with them. Turn so, themselves over like they should? Well, you know, instead of, it won't come out and go up oh, like it should. Okay. Yeah, a lot of bulbs, if you plant them in there, like caladiums, for example, yeah. you know, the wrong way, a lot of times they're still going to find mm-hmm. their way, you know, through the surface. Yeah. Where some of them, in fact, you I know, like, with caladiums, we tell people to plant them upside yeah, down. Yeah, I was going to say. To yeah. get more foliage. Uh, yeah. Take them, and in fact, when, take just take your fingernail and pop the little pip out of it, turn it upside mm-hmm. down, and you'll get five or six times the amount of foliage than if you planted the bulb upright. That's so amazing, yeah. isn't it? And, and then <clears throat> you'll see, not usually not after long after you plant them, some of them will shoot up this thing that looks like a rocket. Mm-hmm. That's a bloom. You want to pinch that out. It will stop producing leaves if you allow that to get pollinated. Yeah, and, and people say, caladiums don't bloom, Jim. Oh, everything <laughs> yeah. blooms yeah. unless right. it's a fern or grass or a slime mold. <laughs> 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 but you're right. You just snip those things out because uh, it's just taking a lot of the energy away from the production of the foliage yeah. of the plant. Yeah, even Venus, trite- uh, Venus fly traps bloom, and they send their bloom oh, yeah. up high, so the uh, fly trap doesn't try to eat the pollinator. Yeah, you know, I, I checked <laughs> I check my um, uh, saracenias, and they came through mm-hmm. the winter just beautifully. What did? Saracenias. What's that? Pitcher plants. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they're planted in the ground, uh, and they came mm-hmm. through just beautifully. And they have a, a very unique flower that comes up well above Ooh, the plant. I've never seen it's, that. It's really stunning. Somebody so. asked me yesterday or a couple of days ago if they could grow pitcher plants outside. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, you know, in the boggy mm-hmm. type conditions. Or I knew a lady that grew them in a sugar kettle, had no no drainage, mm-hmm. and they blew, bloomed beautifully. I mean, grew blue Beautifully, they grew very well. Yes, thank yeah. you. <laughs> she had some unique ones. Yeah. <laughs> but, there, I mean, um, there's some that are 36 inches tall. I mean, there's some beautiful mm-hmm. varieties, and they're very hardy. 
And see, I didn't uh, know that they I, would make it through the I winter. Used to, I used to grow them in the, in the ponds. I had a, a, a hay rack that just hang, hung over the side of the ponds, and the pots set in mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And you wanted them just because they were something unique? They're, they're just unique. Yeah, gotcha. Like right. Gotcha. You know, and they catch a bug or two, but, you know, that's not why I grow them. Um, but then I, I wanted to grow in this pot uh, a river orchid that mm-hmm. they grow in the northwest. And so I transplanted. What I did, I put a large aluminum pan in the ground mm-hmm. and then filled it with soil so that it holds water and planted them directly in it. And they do just fine <laughs> in there. So it's, um, you know. You so, but you made the habitat for the plant. Right. Yeah. And it's done quite well. It gets, you know, six or eight hours of direct sun. Yeah. Man, if y'all are looking for something new in your garden, doing new in your garden, can I just go home? No, no. <laughs> new in your garden, you should do a water feature. It can be small or large, and it's it's really easy. And you're talking actually. about either in ground or above ground both. or both. Either one. Yeah. You know, or just in pots on your deck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's easy. I just ordered 10 pots from Costco that mm-hmm. came, and, and that's what I'm going to be doing this next week, I think, is dividing lotus and uh, water lilies and repotting them over at my daughter's house. Well, that's, and that's some work. And you're going to use like the uh, a topsoil type yeah, mix. Yeah, in when fact, you're... I got the soil from from Veda. It's uh, one of Monrovia soil, a heavy soil. It's it's real heavy. Yeah, and, and it did very well last year for yeah. growing. I wasn't sure whether, um, if I needed more clay in it, but it it did beautifully. Mm-hmm. So I'm just using it all by itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We are looking forward to the more getting more water garden plants in this year because we're putting them in. Um, there may be like a look, look, look. They're about the size of a fifteen-gallon container, but they're a more of a decorative pot. Of course, no holes, and we just like one container. You can put just underwater grasses in, and the water stays clear and cool. Mm-hmm. And you could even have fish in there too. Or we've had containers where we've got one bog plant, say an iris, right? One water lily, and some underwater grasses. And fish. Yeah, a couple of goldfish, feeder goldfish you can get, you know. The, and, you, and they'll freeze solid, you know. I've got some, uh, all the pots, the 100-gallon tanks, everything froze solid during that oh, flash yeah. freeze, you know. Mm. And most of the goldfish survived. Uh, lost all my koi in, yeah. in the big pond. Unbelievable. But the, uh, the goldfish, and they're huge. They're six, seven, eight inches long. They're nice goldfish. You mean so that water could have frozen from top to it bottom? Did, it did. It froze top and to bottom. And those fish are frozen in the ice. Well, they're not technically. They generate just enough heat to keep a little liquid around the outside of them, and they slow their heartbeat down to practically nothing. Amazing. And then when it thaws out, they're back. At their thing. That is unbelievable. you got to prove that to me, Jim. Oh, well, okay. I've seen it. I believe you can it. come see him. If, how, w- was there any depth that a pond could have been that the koi wouldn't die? How did they do it at the Botanic Gardens, have you heard? Well, those, um, you know, in a, uh, in a lake, they're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, they they can go down deeper. That's right. Yeah. You know, but I didn't have anything that was over 24 inches deep or so. So, it, yeah. you know, everything froze. And then if you did, it would have been above ground, which right. would have made it colder. And then what about cold. the water features that you're talking about in containers uh, that you've got the aquatic plants in, the bog plants? the fish mm-hmm. so you're not changing that water out during the course of the year no, right no, you're topping no. it off if you need to but usually the rains will do most of that for you okay okay they are heavy feeders though and that's the one thing you know and i use the little um 10 gram agroform tablets 
and uh, in a hundred gallon tank i'll throw six or eight in there and i'll put two in a in a like a 15 or 20 gallon size but i do those monthly so uh, you just you just throw it in the water yeah. that agriform so like i've got the lily tabs yeah, that you push in the water thing. lilies yeah you so can push them in the mud if you want to oh, but i never bother to do that i just don't mean boy if Who i can just thought? throw them in ah <laughs> Because I have waited out. <laughs> She's rolled those <laughs> sleeves up so many man. times and stuck that hand down there just to get that I'm fertilizer throwing. down in that pot. Love yeah. you, Jim. Love you, Jim, for that. <laughs> All right, y'all. Another break real quick, and we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could join us this morning. I know it seems like a cold topic to talk about, water gardens, but I'm looking forward to water gardens. Yeah, and it's time, you know, if you've got lotus or water lilies, you know, water lilies have already come up. I've got Mm -hmm. foliage up now, but it's time to to start dividing those and repotting them uh, and uh, getting ready for spring with them. Yeah. Yes, we're waiting for our plants to arrive. I don't know quite when they're going to. I should check that out so we can have the pots ready for them and the the container and all and people are calling asking for them Mm -hmm. already so i mean we're all just wanting to start spring now yeah spring itch and then y'all were mentioning you know the the fall blooming the fall bulbs that bloom in the spring Mm -hmm. the narcissus the tulips those kind of things but this time of year you know you'll find your spring bulbs that typically bloom in the summer and that's things like the cannas and and the different types of lilies of course, the caladium bulbs, you know, those elephant ears, those are the bulbs that you typically plant, you know, in the spring and they'll bloom later on. But one of the things, as far as caladium bulbs go, you do want to wait until the nighttime temperatures are a little warmer than they are now. But if you see some, buy them. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> when it's time. They are scarce. Nine. Yes, they are, Jim. Yeah. Is there a caladium bulb shortage? Yep. Yes. Uh, okay. We ordered them, you know, back in the fall. And when the spring bulbs came in, we had no caladiums. They didn't send any. Yeah. So we're like, man, you know, we're not going to get any caladium bulbs. Well, we got about five different varieties, and they look great, uh, five different colors. But my, my whole point is, you know, if you're out there planting the cannas and, you know, the elephant ears and those type of uh, the lilies, uh, you still want to wait till these nighttime temperatures are around 60 degrees before you get in there on a consistent basis before you get in there and start planting these caladium bulbs. Hey, what's the verdict on the bananas and elephant ears in the ground? Well, mine had sprouted up to about 12 inches, and then they got zapped. Yeah. You know, in this, this last lap. little cold thing that but came through. I think it's just the outer wrapped leaves, mm-hmm. and they're going to come right up through that. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm hoping for, I, too. Out of all the ones we had, and sh- we cut back, I don't know, 40 or 50 that were you know huge plants Mm -hmm. cut them back about halfway and then of course then came the freeze and knocked them back to the ground and i had maybe three or four that actually returned from the same plant Mm. starting back up wow most of them were all offshoots so you cannot predict what's going to happen with this last week though it's they they're all blackened right now but i think they're going to be fine they're going to recover and not mm-hmm. have to re-sprout again, but they're going to anyway. I mean, you can't stop them from re-sprouting. But I, I got to say, Veda, this is one of the years where these plants just don't know what to I do. I mean, they this they don't. Because first we went through that, the flash freeze, but and then, then, then we so had warm. summer, and then it's we so had a warm. freeze. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's so. if they make it through the plants that make it through this. Mm-hmm. I mean, go ahead and write those down. They're they're tough little plants. <laughs> right. I'm telling you. Right. Well, I am impressed <coughs> with the. Um, the banana trees coming back in the elephant ears. Yeah. Well, Me- Beju is, it's probably root hardy up to about zone three. 
Wow. Although I think they say five, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, really tough. Wow. Um, Three. That's amazing. Yeah. And we're six, seven, and eight mm. is kind of what we're going yeah. with. Well, Memphis, can Memphis get to a six? No, we're, really. we're, we're 7B and actually inside the loop, we're probably eight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a good, and that's good difference from years between, ago. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Which is about five degree difference mm-hmm. um, between the two. It is so true. I can leave like, like say Fayette County and by the time I get into Memphis, the degrees has changed by five, mm-hmm. five degrees or it's so. The, it's all the asphalt, the buildings and everything yeah. else just holding all that heat. I know, it's I was like a radiator. Somebody was really freaking out over climate change and, and temperature change. And they're talking about heat islands and the cities are hot. And I go, you know, in the early 70s, the thing was your parents took you out. You'd ride around, you know, ride through the uh, down the roads, through town, mm-hmm. and it would be at night, and you'd, we'd fall asleep in the car. And I could tell where I was by the way the weather felt outside. Yeah. No, no, I no. knew when we were in town because it was warmer, and I knew when we were heading home because it was going down the old dark country roads, and it would cool down. I go, so it's not an anom- anomaly. I mean, back in the 70s in Little Millington, it was warmer than it was driving out towards Shelby <laughs> Forest. So, I mean, there's always been, quote unquote, heat island. And there's also that going on, believe it or not, in your landscape. That's yeah, how, you know, you true. can have a microclimate in your landscape. And, you know, and we see this happen all the time. Even this year, you'll see some of the plants that just were toast after that flash freeze we had. And some of the same plants that were on the other side of the house, maybe closer to the brick wall, a little more protected, and they made it just fine. Mm-hmm. And people are scratching their head like, why did these do this and these didn't? It's all about these little microclimates we talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I saw the distillium <laughs> that was, I mean, due east, and they were fine. And the ones on the west side were fried. I mean, but The ones on the <clears throat> east were getting sun like, the whole day, the one on the west side was blocked by a lot of trees. Mm. So that changed the yeah, environment. Yeah, ground was a lot cooler there, too. You yeah. know, Which, driveways play an important part, driveways and walk in, in the the hardiness of a lot of plants, you know. So if, if we're planting them in those roots that are going to go out two or three times the width of the tree or up underneath that concrete, it's a whole lot hardier than those that are on the other side of the house in the yeah. shade. Well, you don't tree. have any kind of that concrete right. slab, you know, in this case, a driveway. Yeah. Where the, <clears throat> the west wall is not getting heated up during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've seen for years here where people have grown year after year after year um, that little creeping fig yeah. on, a, on a west wall, and, you know, it dies to the ground mm-hmm. every year and then covers the whole wall by the end of the season, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's zone nine hardy. Yeah. You know, but yeah. that tiny little micro environment there where it just explodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we've got it growing on a wall by the uh, water pond. <clears throat> And, of course, it's died on the wall all three years. I think every ground cover out right there died on the wall up. this year. Yeah, it comes. I see green coming up now. I was telling the guys, you need to just tear it off and let the green come back up. <clears throat> and they're like, no, let's just leave it. Okay, you just don't want to tear it off. That's all. Just making more work for you. But if we leave it, the grow the green will just grow over the top of it. All right, it. so what do, what do we think about ground covers in general? I mean, you know, because we hear, you know, the Vinca Major, the Asiatic Jasmine, of course, the English Ivies, the Pachysandras. I mean, they all took a beating. Um, 
and especially when it, when it comes to ivy, ivy that was on the ground, of course, but any ivy that was elevated on a wall. I mean, it's just flat out toast. So, I mean, as far as going out there, cleaning all that stuff up, cutting all that stuff back, feed it really good uh, with just a good non-burning fertilizer. I mean, but for the most part, aren't we seeing most of these ground covers start to slowly flush back out to where it wasn't just a total desolate mm-hmm. death nail on you know, these areas yeah. that have ground covers. We'll have uh, vinca, the variegated vinca major planted in some larger concrete containers against the wall facing east, and it's they're coming back. Good to know. Yeah, they're coming back. Um, let's see. Well, I saw a picture on your Facebook page. Somebody's Carolina Jasmine, I think. Was that what it yeah, was? Some. It just didn't look like it was hardly hurt. Just yeah. Just half defoliated. But have y'all heard Most anything? of them have been burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. Have y'all? Do we know anything definitive though on the ground covers yet? Well, like easy, my my snow and summer Asiatic jasmine, everything that was exposed to air to the sunlight it's burned. Frozen. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> but it's come now where leaves were covering it. It's greening back up. Even have some green coming out on the trunk of the tree. Okay. Um, my fats hetera that I've had there on tack to the tree for years gone through zero degrees got mm-hmm. killed to the ground yeah um and i'm hoping it'll come back out um but most of the ground covers i think are are going to be okay they're going to be okay good they're, you got some damage in them but i think they'll recover fairly quickly yeah, and, and not yeah. saying that we're not going to have to go out there and do a little plug-in on some of these plants selectively you know mm-hmm. to kind of uh fill in what we lost but i'm like y'all i hope and pray fingers crossed that for the most part the ground covers that are out there Pachysandras, ivies, jasmines, uh, vincas, mm-hmm. that for the most part, I think we're going to see growth yeah. coming back, the ones right. at ground level anyway. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. last year mm-hmm. I sold a lady a lot of mazis, and we, we talked in length about it, how beautiful and how hardy and how quick it grows mm-hmm. and all of that. So she comes in this year and she goes, my mazis, and I'm like just Uh-oh. waiting. She yeah. goes, it's blooming and it's so beautiful. Wow. And I love it. And I'm like, <laughs> It's a tough little plant. Yeah. So it's Mazis reptans, blue That's or white. It looks really, really pretty. Kind of like, kind of like violas would, na- native <clears throat> violas blooming in your yard. Which again, I saw a post about somebody had posted it. Is this a weed? Well, I just commented when I see it, like creeping Jenny. Is yeah, it a weed? Right. You know, when I see it, it just brings back memories of my grandmother's landscape, and she had a big wooded area and. Some people, most people, were never said kill it or not. They just enjoyed how beautiful it was. Mm-hmm. But it does spread. It could, it could grow all in your lawn, really. And I mean, if you're trying to have a lawn, then yeah, you do have to kill it. Hey, would pre-emergent work on the African violet seed? I mean, the the mazas. No, the uh, on violet seeds. Yeah, violet seeds. Oh, uh, I would think so. Yeah. Ah, so that way. You could control where it grows, but still keep it. Yeah. yeah. I, I always leave some. We, You know, we dig some out, but the big, large clumps that have lots of flowers on them, and they bloom a, a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I always leave some in the garden. Yeah. I saw yeah. a lady had a whole strip um, between the street and her sidewalk. What do they call that? That area, dead man zone or something? Yeah. <laughs> so, between that's the sidewalk and the curb. Names, yeah. 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 strip. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that? <laughs> well, she had them growing there in the spring, and it was absolutely beautiful. 
but I don't know what it looked like in the summer, you know, because sometimes there's areas that have to look good all the time. Well, like I said, let's get out there, feed these ground covers, get all that debris as far as when I say debris, if you had any leaves in these in these beds, get all that stuff out of there, get it cleaned up, get it fed. And if you know something's dead, you can go ahead and cut it out of there. If you're not, you can still be patient. We'll know sooner than later what to get in there and cut out. But hopefully most of these ground covers are going to flush back out. Yes. All right, y'all. Get your questions together and you can post them on our Facebook page or uh, give us a call. 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be with us. You can uh, download our app, stream us online. You can check us out on Facebook Live right now. You can see all three of us. Yeah, Mighty 990 Facebook page. Absolutely. And if you want to give us a call, Miss Veda, 901-260-5926. All right. You know, so, this is talk radio. Y'all can talk to us. Yes, you can. But also, real quick, our you know all the good friends out there and the Dirt Buddies at uh, Spring Fling uh, at the Ag Center this morning at the Red Barn. It was yesterday and today. I think today from 9 to 5. And, guys, there's so much stuff going on out there. I mean, they've got spokespeople, you know, speakers out there. Uh, there's activities inside and outside. I mean, it's, it's just a, a fun time. Mm-hmm. And then the garden centers, your local garden centers. Veda, you and I, you know about this for sure. We're getting geared up, you yeah. know, for spring, getting all the good stuff in. Uh, perennials, you can get them in the ground. Annual color, uh, it's already available. All the spring bulbs, you can get in the ground. You the know, seeds, all the fertilizers. The I mean, everything. Yeah. So, yeah, be sure to go by and, and, and check out the local garden centers. Oh, I know. I'm feeling it. And then and all the wonderful house plants that, that yes. you'll see coming in, outdoor plants, indoor Indoor landscaping. And you'll find Veda at Palladio's over there mm-hmm. on Central. Y'all yep. been there for quite a while. And, of course, Kenneth at Dan West Garden Center's on Poplar. So, Well, you know, we, we moved it into the big building. You did. So when you drive by, you see no plants where the uh, other, the original garden center Used was. Used to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, people would tell me they would drive by when they would see the plants out or things bloom and they would come in. Yeah. And now no one even knows that we've really moved across the street because Central Barbecue's moving in there. But, but you still have those plants. Yeah. But we're still mm-hmm. there. Um, you do need to get a, a nice large sign <clears throat> out mm-hmm. front that says Garden Center. I know. Imagine if we would do that. I know. It's somehow it just hasn't come to fruition yet. But um, the uh, I was looking up, I'd seen a picture where they had said, I followed these two squirrels around for six years, and aren't they adorable, and, you know, taking pictures. And I was like, how long do squirrels live? And I Too looked long. it up. Yes, yeah, in captivity, they can leave up to tw- live up to 20 years. That's, that's disheartening to hear I that. I know. But, like, in mm. our home situation, about two years, but then it was saying if they live out in the wild about, you may be like six years. And I guess because if they're living in a home situation, we're all trying to bait them and kill them and trap them and move them. No, that's why I, they only make it two years. Those knuckleheads that live here in, in Memphis, they, oh, they've got it made. They'll live mm-hmm. at least six years. You think? Yeah. yeah. So, and they have a lot of uh, babies per year, too. Yeah, so they, they, there's they do. And, and they will, you know, cause $4,000 worth of damage to your roof in a heartbeat. Yes, they will. And yeah. they're just masters at it. They can gnaw anything and don't think they can't. And they can get, if they really want to get in the roof of your house, they're getting in. I'm mm-hmm. telling you. Carol was out doing some weeding one day and she looked down and this little baby 
squirrel was walking towards her, you know, and she thought, isn't it cute? You know, yes. so I walked over and picked no. it up. I swear it must have had a hundred and fifty fleas on it. Oh, good. Oh, and, and I hate to say so that. I like set that. it back down. Yeah, you, know, you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I don't we're think always I can continue this subject now. Yeah, well, <laughs> and we're always fighting the critters, but you know, they're. I just made a display the other day of this this hoot owl. You know, this molded owl that's got this little bobbly head on it with these big yellow eyes, and I'm thinking, man, if I was a critter, I'd stay away from this thing. You yeah. know, but. You know, that is one way the scare tactic, mm-hmm. you know, people will put out these bobblehead owls to keep uh, critters away, if you will. In this case, squirrels we're talking about. And then there's repellents. And, and you know, don't give up on repellents. I mean, the, the shake away, uh, the granulated urine, mm-hmm. they actually do a pretty good job in trying to keep these critters away from certain areas. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, there's different traps. You know, we've all tried different uh, traps. But I tell people, the more you do, the better off you are. Whether you're trying to trap them little boogers, whether you're trying to repel them, or whether you're trying to scare them, you know, with yeah. the uh, the bobblehead owl or whatever, you can't just let them just have their way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, I didn't want to kill mine. I just wanted to shock the bejesus out of them. Right. And, I, yeah. <laughs> and that was genius. Your- yeah, where, what was it you made? Well, it, I it, to hook up the bird feeder. <clears throat> yeah, so yeah. I got one of the electric fences, mm-hmm. the little gadget, and hooked it so that, you know, birds can't reach between the feeder and the, the shepherd's pole. hook. Yeah. But a squirrel will. When he comes over the top, he'll touch both of them. Ah. Uh, and so he gets a, uh, a surprise. <laughs> I love yeah, just, it. Just enough to surprise him. <laughs> <laughs> and That's it didn't funny and it didn't knock their tail off but it made them to where they didn't want to come back and try to steal the food yeah. out of that feeder again they don't learn they learn pretty quick oh. you know animals are really incredibly smart they're now with more cameras out mm-hmm. everywhere mm-hmm. we're catching the animals just doing all kinds of humorous things and some things so human <clears throat> You know, things and, and they're doing, and I think sometimes these animals are rolling their eyes. Uh, you at know us. it at us, <laughs> and it's hard enough trying to repel some of these critters that are above ground, like you know the raccoons, the possums, and of course the squirrels that we're talking about. And then it's a whole nother theory trying to get rid of varmints to live underground. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the moles and the voles. I mean, it's it's just it's it's almost impossible. And this cold weather has not reduced the animal population. Oh, no. Any of the wild critters. No. no. But, I mean, I, I think last year, and I can honestly say this with a straight face, <laughs> I think last year, y'all, I had more complaints on moles than I think I ever have in 30-something years. And I don't know why, honestly. I don't. I, I mean, who knows? But Well, I think your, the population expl- is expensive. Exploding because of Japanese beetles. And explain that, Jim. Okay. Well, you know, we started getting Japanese beetles, I'm guessing, around 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, And progressively, these got worse every year. We found one at the nursery out on Highway 64. And so we set up a trap, and we didn't catch any more. Found one. (laughs) Found one. And figured it came in on a plant from McMinnville. Because they've had them over in Nashville for years. Right. Um, so we put a trap up the next year and we caught about a hundred. Okay. So, okay. So you're so like, Ooh, okay. They've, they've gotten established here. And then the next year there must've been 2000 of them. And that the amazing trap. truth. Uh, so, so fast. and they've just ex- explored, uh, exploded like that. And 
you know, you can't do much about controlling those that are come eat your roses. I mean, you can yeah. try to kill them, but they're flying in from other places. And your crepe myrtle blooms. I told y'all they've eaten every bloom, every bloom mm-hmm. off of my crepe myrtles in the backyard for the last two years. Every bloom. Yeah, but what's really dangerous about them is what they'll do to your turf. Okay, and you don't norm, you don't see that, but they, when they start laying in in June or so. That laying those, eggs, the, the Japanese yes, beetles. Those, those nymphs or grubs will end up just decimating your turf. You know, we've had June beetles here for years, and they typically run six or seven per square foot. And that's I mean, that little that's, brown beetle that we see flying around in the right. summertime. Okay. But Japanese beetles, you can have populations of 30 to 40 or so per square foot, and you can roll your carpet, roll your grass up like a carpet. I mean, they'll just shear all the roots off, you know, and, and you water it, and it doesn't respond because there's no roots on it. <laughs> yeah. And I guess moles love the grubs of they a Japanese beetle. They love grubs, right. So then we've got so many more now. There's stuff for them to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to work as hard as they used to. I mean, so the so, product that, that we're going to put down now to control the Japanese beetle grubs, right. I know <laughs> you can use uh, milky spore, and then what's the other one that's used? I a mean, lot? you know, there's metacloprid, metacloprid, and, and dialogs. You know, but mm-hmm. you know, bless your heart about milky spore. But the truth of the matter is that where milky spore occurs naturally, it only controls about five percent of them. I mean, it's it it's helps, hyped, but it's not going to. It's not going to, you're not going to get the results that you would like to have from it. So if we're putting the dye locks down, okay, they're going to start doing their thing in June. Right. And the grubs will be in the ground in June where the, but, and we're, what do we got to wait another month maybe? Well, when I say. Before we put it down or do we put it down like in May? Well, if if you're doing dye locks, you got to do it, you know, when they're right at the surface. Okay. So that you're looking at first of June or so is probably the best. Now, imidacloprid, you could go ahead and put down now. Yeah. Uh, and it would keep that generation from forming later on. Right. And, <clears throat> and it's going to give you a seasons-long control. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, it's important that you get it down. Imidacloprid is such a fabulous product, you know, but timing is critical when you put it down. For boars, things like that, you want to get it down in February. <clears throat> uh, for grubs, you want to get it down in June, okay, so uh, at, at the latest. So... And, and this is a granulated version, and then the liquid version is the same product that we're pouring around the crate myrtles right. for the crate myrtle bark scale. Uh, and it is, you know, just mix and pour is all you do. But the moles, getting rid of the, the food source, like y'all are saying, is one way to help get rid of the mole, moles <laughs> that are in your yard. But it is, it's, it's funny that moles, we all ha- always have heard and read that they're very territorial. There's not as many moles in your yard as you think you might have. You might right. think you've got a hundred out there, and you probably have four. Right? You know. Mm-hmm. Well, you know when back when I was using like chemicals and all of that, the type of um, uh, 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 what we would put down in the soil was like diazinon or duracin. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Control. yeah. Oh, That's yeah. the last time that I've used. Like, that was uh, a long time ago. Yeah, this beta. yeah, exactly. In fact, so you now, can't even buy those products uh, anymore. So I'm so glad. Well, I mean, I can't say for sure, but I'm glad that there's some there's some new products out because they're <clears throat> like easier to use, mm-hmm. really, and and they uh, aren't oh. as expensive. Oh, and they're not the organophosphates that we used to use. You know, that, I mean, there were some pretty potent stuff that we yeah. used to use years ago. Of course, that's what was on the market, right? 
And, you know, nowadays there are products out there that are extremely broad spectrum, really good products, but they're not nearly as toxic. All right, y'all. We'll be right Mm -hmm. back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can be with us this morning. I see... Well, I've seen daylight for a while, and every once in a while I see a little bit of sun oh, yeah. coming through. It's supposed to be nice and sunny. This is going to be a great day to get out in your yard, even though it's going to be really, really wet, But which then takes me to think about when we had the two guys on the show about growing the best tomatoes <laughs> that they they had won from, at the uh, tomato contest mm-hmm. at the AgriCenter. And one of the things that they said they both did was cover their soil where they're going to plant their tomatoes so they can plant when it's tomato planting time because a lot of times it's too wet and that's why you're having to wait a while and then it's almost too late to get a good yield before it gets too hot. So with them, they've got raised beds, their beds are covered, so they're probably dry, crumbly, good soil. Mm -hmm. So you could, you can plant in those type beds right now. You could build new raised, I don't know, it's so wet. What would you do today? Well, sprays to kill I some weeds, know. and we'll get yeah. to that in just a minute. Uh, water plants. Uh, yeah, water plants. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, uh, relant weeds, well, you know, weeds. It, I, I kind of agree with Kenneth, you know, I think it's time to start pruning out some dead stuff, mm. you know. Uh, so I think If you know it's dead. Yeah, you know, and doing trim up, you know, things like sprouts off crepe myrtles and in just stuff that you have to do every year anyway. Well, remember um, when you were talking about the end of the stems turning black and that we should prune a little past that right, black. Right. And because stop of, it. Yeah. Well, you had those yeah, dying cells. Take, yeah. You want to get down below that. Right, because if you cut like right at it, you're still not getting all the dying right. cells. You want to get back into green tissue. So I'm thinking that I might experiment with these are pyramidal hollies and the ends are black, but then it looks like more inside is green. Right. So I might just shear. Go ahead and shear it. Yeah. 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 And just see what happens. Well, with I mean, something sharp. <laughs> and then, and, and also let's say this, if you were doing some pruning today or whenever, uh, it's just like the lawnmower blade. Make sure the blade is sharp. Uh, you don't want to Tear the tissue on the limbs. You want a good, nice, clean cut for a number of reasons. One is, you know, if, you, if you're if you smashing the tissue with dull blades, mm-hmm. you're ripping it off is all yeah. you're doing. And it's more exposed that way to disease and everything else later on uh, in the growing season. So, guys, make sure that you got good, sharp instruments when you're out there doing your pruning. Yeah, good tip. Hey, let's go to one of our callers. Let's go to Jerry from Germantown. Good morning, Jerry. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Oh, hey, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Hi. I, enjoy, I enjoy your show. I've met all of y'all at different forums and stuff. Um, I have two questions. One of them is kind of vexing. Um, first of all, can I, talk about hardiness, can I assert that it's the, it's the cold ground that kills plants rather than the cold air? Mm, no. In most cases, yeah. no. No, because typically, Jerry, the ground is warmer than the outside air temperature. Um, so it's, it's really the it's, – it's just the temperature overall that's, that's mostly killing the plants. And look at it this way, Jerry, also. For example, let's look at hostas. You know, they're in the ground, underground, and they're coming back just fine, like most perennials are, because they were actually insulated in the ground. 
Any tissue, especially this year, that was above ground, that's the tissue that was really damaged because it was exposed to those really cold temperatures. Now, sometimes plants in containers can freeze entirely through the container, and that is would be a reason. Yeah. yeah, and you know, if we we have periods when you have very cold air temperature, <clears throat> and then it stays cold on the ground, freezes deep, then that <clears throat> will enhance the kill. You know, things like crepe myrtles often are, are knocked to the ground, but then they recover. But if you get the ground frozen six inches deep or so, you could lose the crepe myrtle also. Have right. we ever frozen six inches deep here? Uh, yeah, um, maybe once that mm-hmm. I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 may, I may have posed my question wrong. My, I, I guess, uh, and I think you agree, it's, it's the... And from what I understand, the ground temperature in the winter is 40 to 45 or 50 right. degrees, something like that. Is that pretty correct? That's close normally, yeah. Yeah, so um, the ground temperature is a better protector, of, yes. obviously, of plants mm-hmm. and or shrubs or whatever else, as opposed to the the ambient outside yeah. temperature. Yes. yes. Right. Okay. Now, one of the things we face is when the soil temperature drops below 45 most plants can't pull moisture into their system. So that's when wind desiccation becomes such an issue. Mm-hmm. That's what kills so many gardenias is the fact that it can't replace the water uh, when that soil temperature gets below mm-hmm. 45. Yeah, Yeah. well, you know, talking about hardening and hardness, I guess, and, and it, it, I get a surprise every winter like everybody else does. Mm-hmm. I have... I did some cuttings of clematis early in the summer, and they grew great. And they're in like one quart pots, and of course, I'm thinking they're sitting in pots out in my backyard. I'm thinking they're dead as doornails, but they've already popped up and they're growing great. You're right; it's you amazing. So yes, yeah, yep. So you know, obviously, in a, in a pot, when it got to zero, it got a whole lot below 32 degrees sitting out there in a pot. That's mm-hmm. exactly right, above ground. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so they're so I, I guess they're pretty hardy. I guess. Right. Yeah, yes, they are. In fact, the, one of the largest clematis <clears throat> growers is in Minnesota. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that would be the case. It seems like they're just a nice southern plant. It's it very doesn't delicate, want it real cold. Yeah, yeah, very tender. But no, they're tough as everything, Jerry. When it comes to cold hardiness. Yeah, I, I think same thing for the. Uh, comb flowers too. So, mm-hmm. yes. um, here's my here's my vexing question. You all know who Michael Durr is. Oh, right? very well. Mm-hmm. Um, Chinese snowball. I'm born to say it's Viburnum macrocephalum. I'm not exactly sure. Okay, they're sterile. Mm-hmm. How did they get to be sterile? They are. Where did the, where did the first one come from? They are a cross between two, and I'd have to let's see if I can look it up while we're talking here. But so they're hybridized, is what you're saying? Yes, it is a hybrid. Yeah, it's not the well exactly. I mean, because a lot of hybrids, you know, they are, you know, they don't produce. Yeah, they're off like um, other plants that do pollinate. Right. Yeah, because sometimes you know when you do get hybrid plants, a lot of times you can't reproduce. The original from yeah. seed. Opalus sterile, yeah. yeah. But uh, but that is a beautiful plant, though, Jerry. You know, both the eastern snowball and the Chinese snowball, uh, you know, those beautiful pom-pom white blooms that you see out there, uh, I mean, they're great plants. And as far as I know, um, 
even though a lot of viburnums I've seen look horrible. They mm-hmm. did not fare well at all yeah, through this those cold weather. They are beautiful. They're now. fine. That's yeah. right. Here we go. Viburnum microcephalum, the common name Chinese snowball, is a species of flowering plant uh, native to China. Its fertile form, Viburnum microcephalum F. Cataleria hmm. is one a, a great cultural significance in China. So it there is a separate male plant. Okay, like so right. many so, plants so, are either male or female. Yeah. So here's what I don't mean to keep it too long. In the hybridization process, did they did they force them to be sterile uh, so they could not be propagated by seed, or is it just a part of the process? Jim, I I don't know the answer to that question, but I bet it's just part of the process, to be honest with you. Because a lot of people like sterile plants like that because they do not want these things to move around, you know, and take over your landscape like some of the other ones can. I have never in the 50 years I've been in this business seen the male form. So, you know, it's it's not going to produce. Yeah, I guess that's just kind of how... Plants work, you know, mm-hmm. you can only do so much with an original plant. So, like you said, part of the process, really. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in sterility, this was vexing, and I'm glad you, you know, somewhere 800 years ago, one of them grew and it had seeds. So. Yeah. Right, right. All <laughs> exactly. right. Well, we got to run for a minute. We are going to be right back. Y'all continue listening. You're listening to Mid South Gardening. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the third hour of Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yes, she is. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim, the other guy. <laughs> and Jim. And, and, you know, and I want to invite you to join, if you hadn't done it already, and tell your friends to join our Facebook group. Uh, it is great. It has zero drama. It yeah. has zero advertising. Yeah. Uh, and it's just good people who know what they're doing. There's no researching for other people. There's none of that kind of stuff. So that what what you get are people who have done it or you know, and, and people who want to do it. So yeah. it's just experience only. There yeah. are a lot of other groups out there now, you know, where you know you can go show a picture and they'll somebody will look it up for you yeah. and then tell you what they think it is. Yeah. Cut but, and paste the article, yes. put it on there. But, <laughs> you know, not this one. We're we're just a little bit different. Uh and uh, we invite you to join, you know, and tell your friends, you know, and if you join, you have to answer a few questions, you know, and it's mostly about copyright laws. Right. Um, but if you, once you're a member, if there, you've got friends, you can invite them and they don't even have to answer. We're yeah. going to assume that you know that they're good people and good gardeners and we're going to. And I tell you in. what, Jim, and you also have the foul section on right. the Mighty Nine, not the Mighty Nine, I need the Mid-South Gardening Facebook page. And I looked at it the other day, and I was looking at uh, hostas, uh, more, mm-hmm. you know, more of the sun-loving hostas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there they are in the files. I mean, and it's, it's just a, we have a real good hosta wealth file. of information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it will tell you which ones are slug-resistant, which ones are, are uh, sun-tolerant. Now, remember that all hostas look best in some shade. That's you know? right. Even That's the right. ones that are sun-tolerant That's are right. going to look ratty by the end <laughs> of the summer. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, not, they're not terrible, terrible like some get. 
uh, and we also tells you which ones are fragrant. So uh, there's a lot of good, a lot of good information. Yeah, fragrant in hostas. Yeah, there's t- on tomatoes, on all kinds of fruits, apple pollination charts, mm-hmm. plants for wet areas, mm-hmm. uh, native plants. Um, so lots of lots of cool stuff in there. Yeah, a lot of good information, no doubt about it. Have y'all heard of an emerald cockroach wasp? Mm-mm. This sounds like a good an old emerald wasp cockroach wasp. Yeah, this, is it a this, parasitic wasp? It's emerald. Yeah, it it sting it it puts its stingers in the brain good. of a cockroach. Love it. It fills around with the stingers and and stops. It stops. It temporarily p- puts paralysis on the front legs and the uh, mm-hmm. and the escape method. He lays his egg in the leg <laughs> of a cockroach and seals back up. Then he releases the cockroach and the cockroach is fine. But then the the egg that they've laid see, in the cockroach. Eat, they're eating breakfast. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm going through this. The cockroach, the egg in the cockroach, then eats the cockroach and kills it. It's pretty. Hey, Mother Nature, she's got all that stuff figured out. And then some of that stuff is ooh, pretty crude. I know. All I can think of is it's stingers in the brain. And they can feel the stingers around to hit the two mechanisms to stop the it. The two pre- front legs. Temporarily <laughs> paralyze it. I mean, is that a surgeon or what? Do we get emerald ash? I mean, emerald boars to be surgeons now, but um, just nature's crazy. So now I guess we can start selling those as beneficials to help get rid of our cockroach population. And then, like Jim was saying, some of these <laughs> slug resistant uh, hostas. Yeah, we are. I mean, trying, how cool is we? that? You know, you got plant hostas out there because we all know that when you see a hole in the leaf of a hosta, it's usually a slug. Yeah, that's doing it or a snail. Yeah. I mean, they just love them. This caviar. Kind of like the root system of a hostess caviar to a vole, right? Yeah. Well, here comes Mr. Slug, and you have nothing but slug-resistant hostas. Now, I'm not saying that they still won't eat a hole in the leaf, mm-hmm. but typically speaking, they're going to leave those alone and go seek out foliage that they really like. So, I mean, who would have thought that there are some more slug-resistant hostas out there than just any classic, typical hosta? Right? Yeah. So how is a slug? Are they hybridizing to be slug resistant or we're just discovering? Well, I just think so many of the blues and the really heavily corrugated ones, mm-hmm. and the slugs they're just not as tender. easier things to eat. Yeah. Yeah. It's so they're just tender. going for easier. Because mm-hmm. you know how many teeth slugs have? A lot. I was surprised how many teeth they have. It looks like jaws and different Under a levels. Microscope. Yeah. It's I don't not know. like if you go out there and turn him over and look at his mouth. You I see these right, teeth, right, okay? under my sc- I mean, I don't know if I thought they were just pulling them off with their lips or what, <laughs> but I didn't know that. Or if they had, like, two big front teeth. I didn't know. But <laughs> who would have thought that they had that many teeth? <laughs> oh, it's funny. Well, also, guys, this time of year, um, weeds, 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 weeds are definitely a potential problem. And, you know, they're going to grow faster than anything else in your lawn, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you've got Bermudian zoysia and it's slowly, slowly starting to yeah. flush out, especially the zoysia, not so much on the Bermuda. But if you've got weeds, they're outgrowing it big time. <laughs> so this is the time of year that you can do one or two things or really both. One is people are definitely putting down their pre-emergence. And the pre-emergence won't control now any weeds that are already up and growing. You've already missed the boat on that but it will control the weed seed that hasn't come up yet. And especially crabgrass. You know, that's such a horrible... I mean, I, I think I hate crabgrass just as much as I do moles, okay? Because it's so hard to get rid of yeah. or dig out. 
So I hate it. But get that pre-emergent down. And the beauty of the pre-emergence that you buy now, especially the dimension, um, you can put it in your lawn, but you can also sling it up in your beds. So it, it, you can use it in both places. That's, that's really a good thing. But get that pre-emergent down. Now, as far as the weeds that are already up and growing, you know, that's where you need your post-emergent. That's the one that you generally mix with water or you buy it already ready to spray or ready to use. It doesn't matter. But you go out there and you spray your lawn. And it would just flat out knock out those weeds. Now, some of the broadleaf weed killers, you know, you and depending on the weed, you might have to give it a good spray and come back in two weeks and do it again. But I'm telling you guys, you can kill the weeds that are already up and growing, and you can prevent the weed seed that hasn't germinated yet from coming up. And then all you really have to do, other than cut the grass, is just feed your lawn during the growing season, so you'll have a beautiful green lawn without any weeds out there. Well, you can pull weeds today. You can the ground's pull definitely <clears throat> moist enough. You'll have some good satisfaction doing that. And you did get my curiosity up. Um, slug has 27,000 teeth. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> can you I imagine know. the slug dentist? I mean, it's that guy stays crazy. busy. Mm. It's just crazy. You know, when we start putting these microscopes to these, an- to these little the ants, their faces are scary. Oh, yeah. some, of, when, <clears throat> some of these cute little critters that when you actually enlarge them and look at them, you're thinking you're watching the alien movie that came out forever. And then you're like, hmm, I don't know if I want to know that. And, and Mr. Paul, hang on just a second. But also, if you do potentially have a eventually a slug or snail problem, mm-hmm. uh, the products on the market now are really good. It's the iron phosphide. It's under slug magic, sluggo slug killer but it's not the harsh products that we used years ago and all you do is just sprinkle these products out there in the beds you can use it around your vegetables you can use it in your ornamentals you can use it in pots but it does a good job in killing those uh, snails i almost said it Vader, <laughs> those snails and slugs but it's very safe to use around me you the dog and the cat so and a dog named blue yeah exactly <laughs> works like a fertilizer it does yep you know uh iron phosphide jim and so um Iron phosphide, yeah, mm-hmm. not zinc phosphide. Iron phosphide, zinc phosphide, I think, is in the poison peanuts that you yes. put in the ground for moles and voles. So, yeah, you can get rid of those nasty little things. And then Veda, you know, she'll mention diatomaceous earth from time to time. Diatomaceous earth also will help get rid of snails and slugs. And there again, it's another one of those products that's extremely safe to use. Yeah. about I got one of those puffer Things that you put your powder Gotta in so it. you can puff it. <laughs> and and Because diatomaceous earth is so thin that you'll over-apply. Yeah, you know, a little mustard and, and ketchup, ketchup squirt things work really well. Yeah, see, I'm thinking I might Just don't overfill it. them. You know, you oh, just you fill, can't it, fill it, it up out. about a, a, a fourth full and then just, and just puff it. Puff well, it I'm thinking I'm going to send that puffer back because it's over-puffed. <laughs> Should I say the ketchup and mustard bottle seems to be a better option after? Because I mean, it was kind of a good amount and of so, money to spend on this puffer. And I've seen people get like an empty jar, put uh-huh. some of the diatomaceous earth in there, like a mayonnaise jar. Screw the yeah. cap on, screw the top on, poke some holes in there, and just kind of shake it out that way. Also, and, whatever and works is all that it, matters. It, it works, but it's not like there's things like you don't do your whole yard with it. It doesn't seem to have as good of an effect as doing your entire yard. But like around hostas, yes, I used to dust my cats with it, yeah. the yeah. food grade kind, because it would. Uh, when I'd gotten a stray cat, I dusted it and got rid of the fleas just like well, that. 
kittens you can't do because it'd be too too strong for their rest. A lot, a lot of uses for diatomaceous earth. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I was right. thinking of the other one. Oh, break. we're going to take a break yeah, and then we're going to come back and talk to Mr. Paul. I was thinking about that cute kitty that I'd gotten <laughs> to clean up. All right, we'll be right back after this break. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Let's go to one of our dirt buddies, Mr. Paul. Good morning, Mr. Paul. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Thanks for the call. Uh, good morning, Beta, Kenneth, and Jim. Good morning to you, Mr. Paul. And I think the first time I ever you heard the term dirt buddies came out of your mm-hmm. mouth. I believe it's um, somebody, somebody around here named it that, I think. <laughs> and I, have I, you? I, I, don't, I don't know who that was. Yeah, okay. I think it's Mr. Paul. No, I, I think so. Mr. Paul, all right, tell me what's been going on in your life, buddy. Well, I got a call yesterday morning from the Red Barn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie, Jamie was sitting out there in front of the building right there at our spot, <laughs> right in front of that, that north door. <laughs> and he said it was raining and blowing like a hurricane. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I said, well, spring flames started like it's supposed to. <laughs> that's, that's normal. That's, that's normal. Except the only difference this time, Mr. Paul, it wasn't 18 degrees like it was when y'all no, were out there. No, no, that was a whole lot better. But I do remember being in that, in that spot right there with, uh, whenever we had storms early in the morning mm-hmm. and there'd be people out there with umbrellas turned wrong side out <laughs> you know, coming to the plant safe. <laughs> We love I mean, weather, you know. You know. Oh we my love goodness! Weather. Yeah. Well, today is supposed to. Interested. Yeah, today, Mister Paul, out there at the Red Barn, you know, was the kickoff of spring fling that started yesterday. Yeah. Starting, I think it actually starts about nine o'clock this morning. And I had a right. gentleman, like I said, come into the garden center yesterday, and he said it was a lot of people out there yesterday yeah. morning, even during, uh, before, during, oh, and yeah. after the rain. So that people don't care; they're going to get out there. It's the first sale of the year and people are going to just get out there jamie said they had a good crowd all day pretty much well what would it take for me to get out of here whenever i leave here come grab you i don't care if i have to put you in a in a in a good cushioned chair and just get you out there mr paul on the north side of that red barn well i'd love to go but i better better stay at the house this morning okay buddy well i won't waste my time coming by there but i would jim I yes, saw you the other day. I saw you the other day on uh, Chris's program on uh, Family Ties, and y'all done a good job. Yeah, that had to be on an old one from somewhere because <laughs> I hadn't been it? I hadn't been on there in a while. <laughs> well, I thought you looked real good. Oh, is it Family Plot? Well, then with- obviously it was an old one. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, that was that was last Saturday, well, and Mister. Mr. Paul, I didn't know there's running reruns. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like you, Mr. Paul. I was looking up something, and I told Jim invaded this maybe six or eight months ago. And I was looking up something. I was, you know, the internet googling, and it took me to the family plot. And sure enough, right. there's Jim Crowder. I said, I can't get away from this guy. <laughs> I mean, it, and it, and, and of course, I watched it, and it, and I learned, you know, I got the answer that I was looking for. But it was just so right. funny that it took me right to the family plot, and there's our good friend, Mr. Jim well, Crowder. Maybe right there. I'm morphing yeah. into Jim because I did a thing on family plot, and it's supposed to be it's running all of March, so maybe <clears throat> I morphed into you, Jim. Well, could because since you didn't do it and I did it, but yeah. it was on. <laughs> well, and Mr. Paul, every. Every time I hear the word spring fling, and I promise you, it, it is you that I think of. And I know it's more than you, but it was you that I always think of. 
that you're all out there. Y'all had the big barrel with the fire going in it, huddled around that thing, <laughs> trying to just keep from freezing. And it's like they can't catch a break when it comes to spring fling. We finally learned after a while, and Bill Farrell would bring on Friday morning because Kay would sit back in the corner freezing, and Bill Farrell would bring a heater and we'd plug it in and, and put it back there because it was, I'm telling you, even if it's nice weather, that north door is cold. Mm-hmm. It's no matter <laughs> yeah, what. One of the first things I learned about Spring Fling was to get a spot in the lower building. Well, <laughs> away from those doors. <laughs> so you you was a little ahead of your time because from what Jim ta- from what uh, Jamie told me yesterday, they've moved all the plant vendors downstairs, hmm. and they're by that back big back door now instead of uh, up upstairs by the front. Yeah. Well, so Jan, I didn't know they'd moved all that, but they have. Yeah, and Jan Ch- uh, Childers, she just texted in on the uh, Mighty 990 Facebook page. She said, Mr. Paul, missing you very much, but not the wind at Spring Fling. So people are out there. They do miss you, Mr. Paul, but not the wind, buddy. Well, it's nice to be remembered. <clears throat> well, always. And if we can ever do anything for you, Mr. Paul, anytime, I'm telling you, you just give us a shout and we're there. Thank you, Kenneth. We love your program. Y'all do a great job. Thanks, See you, Mr. Paul. Thanks, Mr. Paul. Thank you, buddy. And then we have Jamie calling. Jamie, the Master Gardener. Good morning, Jamie. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Hey. Calling to you on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> live. Live from the, live from the spring fling. Because here it goes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is that Jan? Hey, Jan. Are y'all alive? And, and Jamie, I have to say, I think y'all have a little better weather this morning than you did this time yesterday morning. Well, we do, we do have better weather, but we absolutely um, having a ball out here. And this is, uh, y'all are at the Spring Fling at the Agri Center, and especially right there at the Red Barn. And I know that yes. it starts at 9 o'clock this morning. People are already showing up. Of course, the vendors have been there. And this is supposed to go on to, what, about 5 o'clock this afternoon, isn't it? Yes, sir. Last day? Is today last day? Yes, today the last day, so you better get out there today then. Jenny, I told you I would work on the weather, and I think I did a fair job of making it all right for you. (laughs) You did a great job because nothing really got blown away last night. We were so fortunate. That's amazing. Yes, we were. With Jenny, Jamie, Jan, and all the Master Gardeners out there, uh, y'all do such a great job. And I know it's a lot of work, you know, that, that goes through this. And the people that show up, I mean, we honestly, we really appreciate it. Give, give me a few highlights of what you're seeing out there, the booths and oh. the things like that. Well, um, we have a large number of silent auction mm-hmm. items. Um, we have a, a large number of plant vendors. Uh, we've got uh, a tropical, uh, Tennessee tropical uh, plants that are, the most unusual house plants you ever see. Mm-hmm. We've got all kinds of crafts. Um, we've got food. We've got uh, food trucks for um, somebody to get snacks with, mm-hmm. and um, just got plants galore. Well, Jenny, I wish you hadn't said solid auction items because mm-hmm. if my wife is listening to this, she's probably already in the car heading that way. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Well, we love y'all. Y'all do a great job. Like I said, if we can do anything for y'all, y'all call us and let us know. But in the meantime, y'all have a great day today. 
Fingers crossed the sun's out. It's going to be a pretty day. Yes, sir, and thanks for that. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks, Jim. All right, we will see thanks, y'all Jenny. later. Yeah, Thank you. good folks out there, I'm telling you. Starting out with Mr. Paul, who's not out mm-hmm. there, but uh, he's been out there, they did enough years to where he can miss a few yeah he said not the morning anyway so i'm sure we'll be out there a little later and i did have a texter i have a couple texters here one was uh this is vicky grayland right here it says i don't i don't see your facebook page i guess jim talking about you it is mid-south gardening it is styled mid-south gardening or something other than that so mid-south gardening gardening and usda zones six seven and eight okay all right and that uh and that should find you. Yeah, I'll should get you up. there. So, Vicky, hopefully you can find that. If you can't, of course, you know, text us back and let us know. And then Mary Tyndall, she uh, texted in and she said, would it be reasonable to put dead hydrangea stems in my compost pile? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cut them up a little more. The smaller that you make them, the quicker it'll compost down. But, yes, everything that I ever take out of the garden or prune or cut or whatever – I put in the compost compost pile. pile. I mean, I even did some Mm. weeds, actually. You know, some of them that maybe didn't have the weed seeds. But if you're letting it compost like it should compost, it kills a lot of pathogens. Um, It can kill weed seeds Mm -hmm. also. Uh, So, yeah, your compost is a great place to put all of that. You know, to clean out water gardens, like you get Mm -hmm. extra plants, water hyacinths, all that. Compost pile. But even the woody stuff, like the woody stems of a hydrangea, you're just making sure that you get in there and just cut them into smaller pieces, throw them in there. It might take a little longer to compost down than, say, ground up leaves, Yeah. but they are going to break down. In but it doesn't have to totally compost. You can still use it even mm-hmm. if they're, you know, chopped up in small pieces. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's how I can deal with when a plant doesn't do so well or it dies out. I don't feel so horrible because I'm returning it back to the earth by composting it. I mean, you know, some I've seen people, they don't have a compost pile, but you just throw all that stuff like in a black trash bag, mm-hmm. let it sit out in the sun some, work it, turn it, you know, and you can make compost that way. Yeah, and then there's compost accelerators that you can mm-hmm. buy in a bag. You know, if you want to mix that in with some of your uh, ground up leaves, your grass yeah. clippings, and then, you know, of course, there's compost makers. Yeah, and, then, like and you, you said, turn some, them. And yes, and then some people, you know, all you really need is a corner of your backyard where, you, you you know, maybe a back bed behind a shrub. Just dump that stuff back there. It's going to break down eventually if you don't do anything right. to it. And I mean, no, you're not going to make enough compost probably to, to work <sighs> your entire yard with it. But man, if it saves you 10 bags a year mm-hmm. or, you know, I mean, <clears throat> that adds up to another plant. You know, and, yeah. and, and homemade compost is is good compost. Yeah. I promise. It you. does have a lot of good nutrients so, in it. So, Jim, real quick uh, for Vicky, one more time. She said she the, the young lady that said she didn't see your Facebook page. You said Mid South Gardening, right? Mid South Gardening, gardening in USDA zone six, seven, and eight. Okay, and all I got to do is just text that in, and it should come up. Yeah, text it. Mid South Gardening should in. bring it, Hype up. it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and even um, and even time for a break and then we'll be back to talk about some more gardening gardeners good morning gardeners and welcome back to mid-south gardening 
so glad y'all could be with us today. It looks like the spring fling's going on. You're going to go out there, see great stuff. Then you're going to head to your independent garden center, say hi. Yeah, Palladios. You'll on. see Miss Veda over there on Central and Dan West uh, on Poplar Avenue. Now, yeah. there's another Dan West on Highway 64, mm-hmm. but I'm at the one on Poplar. And remember, when you drive by where our garden center used to be, you will <clears> see no garden center. Barbecue places working on going into there, but we've moved into the other side in the big building, which Just makes right total sense, yep. yeah, where the fountain statuary <laughs> and all that is. So uh, it's a whole different scene. But follow all of us on our Instagram, like Dan West has Instagram. We've got Instagram. Mm-hmm. Ours is at uh, Plotio Memphis. You know, well, I guess on Instagram, you just plug in the name of the nursery. But I see everybody. <laughs> I see Dabney's and oh, Digger yeah. and... And all that, so you can kind of get some pre-shopping experience following on Instagram. Social media. And the garden centers really are, they're gearing up, guys, for spring. I mean, you know, shrubs are coming in by the day. Perennials are coming in by the day. Annual color is coming in by the day. House plants, all the insecticides, the fungicides, the fertilizer. I mean, think about it. Everything getting mm-hmm. ready for spring. Now, we know that, you know, the frost date around here is April 15th, and you got to be a little careful when you start putting tender annual color out there before then. But people that are having functions and parties and so forth, they're planning some annual color out there. And, you know, if you look at the long-term forecast, I mean, I'm not saying we're not going to have any more frost, but overall things look really good, guys. We've got one, two, three solid weeks until the last frost date's gone. The weather forecast looks good coming up for the next 10 days or so. But, you know, let's see, we'll go with probably either Easter weekend's going to be real chilly which is the uh, April 9th, or the week after Easter weekend, you know, it's going to just shock us with some cool weather. That It's just got to happen a little bit. And we don't know that, but I we know, know what just usually thinking happens. That, you know, that's Memphis, so we should expect it. But then again, there was one Easter that was so hot, we could have just had the Easter dinner at the swimming pool. It's crazy. So. I know it. <laughs> and then, guys, um, switching gears is, um, you know, we always talk about, grass trying to grow grass here in the mid-south and typically you know there's three dominant grasses jim and beta as you know zoysia bermuda and fescue now there's four hemp <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking about the ones beta, that oh, people typically grasses. put in our lawn yeah mm-hmm. and the reason i'm bringing this up is if you have shaded environments where your bermuda and zoysia just won't grow uh you know we always talk about planting fescue in the fall fall really is the best time to sow fescue Right now, early spring, weather permitting, is the next best time. So if you've got these shaded environments and you need to put some seed down, do it now, sooner than later. Because with fescue, you really want to get it up and get it growing and try to get a decent root system established on it before it gets hot this summer. That's why you want to do it as soon as you possibly can. And like we always say is if you've ever, or I shouldn't say ever, if you've had a pre-emergent put down in the last uh, two or three months, then be wary because pre-emergence will also keep fescue seed from germinating. And we see that happen every year, you know, all the time. So especially, go ahead, Faden. I was like the question that was posted on uh, the Facebook page was, can I, he was trying to do the strategy between how long your uh, pre-emergent would last and then if you could put your seed out. That's right. And the answer was you, you just really can't, you can't figure that out. Because pre-emergents, when you put them down, they're going to last at least three months, sometimes up to four months. And a lot of people that aren't doing the lawns themselves and lawn care companies coming in and doing it for them, well, the homeowner is just not thinking about that. So they're going out buying this fescue seed. They're putting it in these shaded environments. 
roughing it up really good, sowing the seed, kind of rough it back in, keep it moist. They're doing everything right, and then they don't get germination. And then, you know, you, you start talking to people like that. They're like, well, yeah, I do have a lawn care service, and I don't know mm-hmm. what they put down, but, <laughs> you yeah. know. So, but, but the whole point is if you, if you need to put fescue down, try to do it sooner than later. You want to get it up, like I said, get it growing before it gets hot. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking through um, some information on like no dig, no tail gardening. Remember when we were talking about that? Yeah. I've been thinking there's something called broad forking. It's a broad. <laughs> that sounds like manual labor, young it's lady. It's manual labor. It, it's like a, a like a, a digging fork. fork. Yeah, it's it was like two feet wide or something, and it's got some tines on it. But yeah. you, it is definitely it's manual labor. Fork. I was like, but that did a really good job of of tilling up the ground or working the ground without doing the shovel or the tiller. In but in our clay? That I don't know. Well, I would I say think if it you was stuck in a, a two foot wide fork into the ground. You get nowhere. Y- you could not yeah. turn the soil right. over. This mm-hmm. would have to be in your your prepped bed yeah. already. Your raised bed. Yeah. yeah, your raised you're bed right. would work. You couldn't just go out there and go, oh, you're a good point, Jim. Glad you mentioned that. You just couldn't yeah. take the broad fork like, out there. It's like those bulb planter, you know, <laughs> that you hook to a drill. I mean, it's a really good idea, you know, but you, you, if you've got much power in your drill, it will spin yourself around. <laughs> but I still don't mind the idea of tilling my garden plot every year. Because I still like to add three things. You know, add some compost to it, add some typically some lime to it to keep that pH up, and add some fertilizer to it, whether it's garden tone or whatever. But I just, I'm telling you, I, you know, I know there's pros and cons, and you read either way that tilling can, can really mess up the, the soil structure, uh, where no till, you know, you've got a better soil structure. When it comes to a garden area, you though, just want to till. Yeah. Well, you know, I visualize it, and they call it soil web because the web in the soil mm. looks like a spider. What, how a spider web could all look. the mycorrhiza, the beneficial right. fungi, and all that stuff growing so down there. When I, uh, and so then you think of the web as like a nutrient carrier, mm-hmm. and so then I'm thinking when we're tilling our soil web, it's like you just destroying a spider web. You've just broken up the nutrient carrier. So you've got to wait for that soil web to rebuild after you till. So make sure you put natural products back in the soil to make that web grow quicker. Yeah, and then, of course, the roots of a plant that you put in the ground are also nutrient carriers, you know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a lot going on down there with the mycorrhiza, the beneficial fungi, the beneficial bacteriums that are in their veda. And you're right. When you till every year, you're breaking all that up. So you're starting from scratch every year. But if you're adding those good products in there that have mycorrhiza in it and you're keeping things moist like they should and you've got the good, you know, nice compost percentage in there that it should be, I just don't, you know, I, I think it's. Yeah. You know, there's even like when the uh, the soil web connects root systems of trees and they're, they're talking about, you know, how plants talk to each other. Well, they'll, they'll do that through the root systems. And like a stressed tree, the other, the good tree will know. And, and a lot of times, sometimes they'll, or plants, they'll share their nutrients to kind of help that one survive. But then this weirdest experiment that it wasn't started as an experiment, but it ended up as one. My son had two uh, potatoes mm. that were sprouting, mm. and they were still in the plastic. Is this like a science fair experiment potato it or potatoes? Happened. 
He just sat, he just sat him out on the uh, picnic table on the patio in the shade. And, you know, you got a single guy. He's not going to, you know, yeah. they, those, two, those two potatoes just sat there on the table. But growing. as the things grew, <clears throat> they crossed. And over a period of a year, one died out, slowly died out. And the other one just kept growing and getting better. Yeah. And so, and then I had read that article. So we were like, did they have a symbiotic relationship where drawing the energy only off one could live <laughs> in the situation? So the uh, so it, it took the nutrients from the other to help it live. And Jim, on on the no-till gardens, you know, and I'm talking about just a backyard plot, not not these major big garden areas where you used to have a tractor and a plow, but just a, a a backyard garden plot. I mean, do you have a preference one way or the other i mean as far as you know just adding compost to it and not tilling and just digging individual holes or you know i just don't i just like the idea of loosening that soil every year yeah i like turning in whatever's left from last year yeah uh, whether it's green manure or just you know stems from plants turning them in exactly so how do yeah. you do that without right disturb- without yeah. without tilling it in right. and for it, home gardens i think you'll get the best results i agree that. I agree. And yeah. then, you know, using a cover crop, you know, during the, the winter months, uh, I think that really helps that soil structure also. And then it's always good just to till that in, like Jim said, and use that as your green manure. So, guys, I mean, when you read about no-till, I get it on these major, huge, you know, 100,000-acre plots yeah. out there in the Midwest because they're trying to preserve that that soil. I get all that. But when it comes to just our little backyard plots that we're trying to grow our veggies in, I don't mm-hmm. think there's a problem getting out there tilling every year. Yeah, because, you know, that that's one thing that I had wondered mm. because it's almost, in a way, counter or what is it, contradictive of mm-hmm. you've got to get your organic matter in the soil, but mm-hmm. then at the same time. But what happens, though, is sometimes when people are tilling, mm-hmm. they till it to death. <laughs> you know, they till yeah. the air pockets out. Right. I mean, it's important that you not till it if it's too dry. It, mm-hmm. it should break up into P to, to golf ball size mm-hmm. particles. Uh, that's that's going to be the healthiest for your lawn. Mm-hmm. I mean, for your garden. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, yeah. So it, don't don't go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. No. And <laughs> even in in raised beds, I still like to think of those three things: compost every year, adding some compost to it, and I don't care if it's cow, chicken, earthworm, whatever. Adding some lime, typically, to just to keep that pH up. And then adding some good fertilizer in there. All right, y'all. One more break. And if you're missing anything, you can listen to our podcast. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Yeah, so we'll have to go out with the good. It was really interesting what Jim was telling us on the break. You know, we're talking about things talking to each other. The symbiotic relationships between root hairs and mycorrhiza and the potatoes that were growing and crossing what was yours with well it, they were growing bacteria in two cups of milk and had sensors on them to sense the activity in it and they put a drop of acid into one of them which stopped <clears throat> the activity yeah but it also stopped the activity in the one that was untreated which makes no sense to me at right. all and so then they poured sugar and milk sugars back in it to start it back up again and the other one started back up again also. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of stuff going on out there, y'all. That it's kind I'm of freaky. Yeah, it is. So mm-hmm. you, and Mother it's Nature. Definitely, we can, you can equate 
actions that you do to keep healthy to your soil too. There's so, because we're so much similar. And then which reminded me something I was going to talk about earlier in micro environments is you can go out in your yard yourself and find your own micro environments. Like oh, yeah. you ever go on this side and go, man, we can't stand on this side. It just fries me. Yeah. Well, so there, that, that tells you right there, there's where you plant your things that are going to be like really rosemary, hot. very and, heat and drought yeah. tolerant. Or how about um, you're over here going, man, it's always cool in this spot yeah. right here. Well, there you can plant some of your plants that don't like our intense heat. You know, it gets a little break, but you can go walk around your yard and fill different sections. And then you can think of plants that can go in the way that section fills. And why is it, you know, like let's say a vegetable garden, you know, they say to rotate your crops. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want you planting tomatoes. Is it tomatoes, I guess, in the same spot year after year? And, I mean, I get because of the potential disease pathogens that can affect, you know, mm-hmm. the same crop you put in there year after year. I mean, I don't think nematodes are a problem mm-hmm. that they, that attack the root system of plants that they used to be years ago. But, you know, we don't we never rotate the crops when it comes to a lot of times bedding plants. So right. why is the what's the big deal with rotating the crops with vegetables? Well, it's mostly for d- pathogens that are in the soil. You know, early blight. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a good idea to move to different end of the garden every couple of to where years. Where if you've got early blight where you had your tomatoes last year, you're not going to have early blight in the soil, Jim, to where well, you plant them this year. Well, um, you know, maybe. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. You know, early blight spreads so easily. People that walk in their garden when there's dew on it will spread it on their clothes. Gotcha. So, you know, it's just the idea that you, your pathogens are likely to be affecting those plants. And so by putting something else in there, you break the life cycle of the pathogen. Um, in a small garden, it's kind of hard to do that. Yeah, I mean, it can be. Yeah. yeah. And then when you're adding organic matter, a lot of times that can reduce the pathogen somewhat. I thought it was maybe in terms of if you always plant in this section then then it's only like a tomato only needs this variety of nutrients. And so then you were robbing the soil of all those nutrients. That, if that we particular weren't plant putting, needed. Yeah, if we weren't putting like um, different arrays of organic or manures or so to put all the minerals and micronutrients back in. Yeah, see, I think it's more of the pathogens yeah. than anything. But, but, but like I said, if you're adding those products back to the soil every year, you know, you're starting with good nutrient-rich you know, mm. nice pH'd soil. Does that make sense? Yeah, pH'd uh, soil. But, but I still think it is a good idea, and, and that's what people ask. You know, well, I don't rotate my bedding plants, mm. you know, so, but I still think it is a good idea if you can, like Jim said, a lot of people can't because of the space issues. But if you can rotate your crops in your vegetable garden, I still think you're going to be better off doing it than not doing it mm-hmm. because of the potential pathogens, like Jim's saying. Well, and it, and it can soil. be that way with bedding plants, too. You know, when we had the um, the, blight. the the downy mildew on, on impatience, you know, yep. um, it, it can actually live in the soil for up to 10 years. Yeah. So, you know, there was that thought that, hey, we may not be able to put this back in there. Uh, so we have to go to New Guinea's or something that doesn't get it. So it's, um, yeah, there's some truth to that. But. And how about the botrytis on the vincas? Right. Because yeah. then we were saying yeah. you have to skip a year? Skip or a couple of years couple sometimes, of years, yeah. yeah. If, if, if they just suddenly wilt on them, then you need to not plant them. All right, what about? And, and there are cures for these things, yeah. but most of the soil fungicides are the most expensive thing that you'll ever have to buy. Right. You know? That's uh, right. You know, you can use um, 
the the Monterey product. It used to be um, uh, like uh, AgriFoss. Yeah, Agri- or, yeah. It used to be AgriFoss. It's Garden Foss yeah, now. Yeah. Um, you can use it to control black root rot on Japanese hollies, but you got to do it every year for the rest of your life yeah. Yeah. once yeah. you get it. You know, and yeah. it's just too expensive to do that. You right. just want to. Well, let's take a that. quick question real quick, as Tim says. Good morning, Tim. You're in the garden. Yeah, I just had a quick question for you guys. Yes, sir. Um, uh, directions on on planting strawberries. says, um, like, like a, a, a foot apart, but three feet in between the rows. Is that because they want that much space for the roots or simply because you need that space to work between them? Is in a raised bed, a four-foot-wide raised bed, I don't need that space in between right. the rows. Right. What do you think? You don't. Yeah, it's it's mostly just for harvesting. Uh, you know, when you read articles now, most of them are talking about planting in 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 the ground uh, and not in raised beds. And that's so in the raised beds, you can just fill that sucker up. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, glad I called because yeah. I got to put them in this morning. There All you right. Go, Tim. Awesome. Yeah. Good call. Because thank you, buddy. Have you seen like <clears throat> the strawberry pots? You know, that's got all the little uh, holes on the sides. You plant strawberries in there and get a pretty good crop, and they're only three inches apart. <laughs> and, and strawberries are, you know, they're easy to grow. Of course, kids love them. You know, they love to watch them grow. Uh, and then even the strawberry fields that they have at these agri-center, okay, that people, you see them out there in the spring off of one to grow, picking strawberries every year. And I've read, and y'all tell me if you think this is true or not, I've read where they actually replant those strawberries every yeah. year because you always get your biggest yield that first year. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, hang on just a minute. You know, it seems like the more these things mature year after year after year, you would be getting bigger and bigger and bigger yields. So I've read the same thing that it's, you replant The problem year. there, again, is harvesting. Gotcha. You, you've still got that space that you got to walk down to be able to <clears> do it. You know, in a three-foot-wide um, planting of strawberries is reachable from either side. That's you true. Know. You can't reach four feet over, That's you know, true. without falling on your face. So mm-hmm. you're limited that way. So you get your best production by doing that every year. And and, and and like Tim was saying, especially in something like a smaller plot or a raised bed, you know, you can stuff them things in yeah, there pretty darn tight. walking all the way around it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no need in that. Yeah. So you don't have to replace every year. Well, you could put them in there. You, you don't You don't need three foot of spacing or even a foot of spacing maybe mm-hmm. between, between the strawberries. Yeah. Yeah, but but like like we were saying, when they do the rows, yeah, they're can, replanting every year. You can year. just pin the little yeah. plantlets down and start new ones mm-hmm. right there that'll produce for you next year. Oh, okay. You know? So so basically, you should start with a fresh plant every year, whether you're in a raised bed. You are or, starting with a fresh plant. You know, either either babies. you're putting a new one in or you're taking one that's grown oh. off of the mama plant. Oh, and I got a question real quick for y'all. You know, when we're talking about diseases, potential pathogens in the soil, that's why we want to rotate our vegetable crop. What about the rose rosette? You know, we've always heard of the witch's broom on the roses, and we know that it's a viral caused by a airborne mite. Okay, it's an insect that causes the virus. Now, is the airborne mite born in the air, or does it mean it flies it, it, in the it, air? It, it just blows around <laughs> in the air, Veda. All right. And then, you know, a rose that is infected, you know, you usually dig it up, throw it away, get rid of it. And then we always heard, you know, try not to plant a rose in the same area or the same hole for at least two years after you've taken out a diseased rose, okay? Yeah. Because if there's any of the infected root system left down in that hole and a new rose root touches any of that old root that's probably left in there, you can get it that way. Um, what do you think, Jim? Is that 
I, I think it's um, not necessary. Personally, yeah. I think two months is all you need to. Yeah. If you got out all of the roots, uh, the other roots are going to die off. Um, and, and I just don't think that's necessary. What you're more likely to have happen, even if you got all of the roots out right. and you planted in there, that's right. there's still a source for that disease that you got it from. You're going to get it again from yeah. that plant. Yeah, why, okay. why, is it, why are those roses getting witch's mm-hmm. broom? Right. Probably because they're planted too close, mm-hmm. you know, in the area that they are. So, yeah, I agree with that. All right. Well, all we- right. You can reach us during the week on Mid-South Gardening or Facebook page. Please join us. We'll see you next weekend in the garden.